Jason Crosby and welcome to episode 31 of Down the Track. I'm joined again by Sean Nick. Welcome, Sean. Thanks for having me, Tim. We've got a, got a special guest in today. I love a special guest and this one is very special. Very near and dear to us, uh, a big character in Victorian athletics, Marty Jackson. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. We're going to delve into your world shortly, but uh, also in this episode, we've got a few things to talk about. We've had the Country Champs, we've had Miners Club, Rare Air, ACT Champs was interesting, wasn't it, Sean? Yeah, there's been some um, pretty spectacular performances around the country. And um, also around the world. We've had Jess Hull and Lisa Waitman. True. Some big ones. So true, yep. sit down, relax and enjoy episode 31. So welcome, Marty. Uh, as I said, big character in Victorian athletics. You've been around for, what, five years or so? Yeah, five years, I think. Uh, so I started in 2014, late 2014, mm-hmm. and um, just slowly progressed since then. But Shot put up by trade, but also a bit of jab as well. I've had a bit of a dabble at just about all the throws <laughs> except for hammer. But <laughs> Why yeah. not hammer? Are you uh, afraid of the thing? Well, we don't have the event. Right, okay, so that's a compelling yeah. reason. Yeah, yeah. It is a, it's a good uh, reason yeah. not to do it. But look, I have had a bit of a throw and mainly standing throws, but um, the foot doesn't work as well right. as I like. Let's go back. You were a very good uh, American gridiron player. We'll use that, or you know, football as they call it, but you were playing gridiron for the Geelong Buccaneers. Uh, you played for them for a long time. But it was also how you got your disability. Yeah, so I actually started the Geelong Buccaneers back in 2003. You're, you're a great man, aren't you? You're a <laughs> founding member. A founding <laughs> member. He's and obviously a life member there. Yeah, and, Hall uh, of Famer. Yeah, yeah. excellent. <laughs> Hall of Fame, very American. That's great. <laughs> Ring of Champions, <laughs> yeah. we call it. So. Ring of Champions. Oh, dear. Don't mind but, that. Traditions. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so do you want to go back to the incident? Let our uh, listeners know what happened to you for you then to become a... Um, Para-athlete. Para-athlete. Yeah, well, uh, 2014, I was actually coming back from a arthroscopy on the right knee and we'll, we'd done a lot of rehab. How, how was your body coping with the rigours of American football, though? It's a, you were a defender, is it? Yeah, played so uh, defensive end and outside linebacker. So, right. uh, so when they go at each other, you're one of the big fellas that just goes and crashes into someone and tries so that they can't move forward. Yeah, we used to have uh, – it was called a race for second. So first guy got in and then the second – was a big pile up and right. yeah, and that was just a, it was a really hungry mentality that we had on a yeah. on our defensive side. Were you bigger then? Did you have to have a bit more weight on? So I was one hundred and four kilos when I played, a bit leaner. Mm-hmm. So just a completely different type of uh, training. Because you got to be able to move as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, look at the time of injury. I was at uh, twenty seven point five k's an hour. Had the GPS on mm-hmm. um, at one hundred and four k's. So it's yeah, we'll it's, move yeah. it. Yeah, that'd be problematic. One object hits another that doesn't move. Yeah, yeah, exactly what happened. Unfortunately, mm. it was a it was a um, home game uh, down in Geelong, and uh, I read the play, and I think the the re- injury was probably a result of knowing the game way too well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pre-read the play and understood what was happening. It was a screen play, um, so yeah, fired off, read the play made the move to make the tackle. I knew where the ball was going to go. Mm. And as I, as I hit the guy, another our teammate, linebacker, came through really low and went to cut him out at the legs. Unfortunately, he speared me in the knee yep. and the, the knee dislocated and that was it. That was it, yeah. Yeah. So probably you know, a pivotal time in your life because uh, had you been involved in any track and field up until that point or were you purely a... 
yeah, maybe primary on. school, yeah, yeah, yeah high yeah. school, just in event days. But um, it was something that I had on my radar post football because I really wanted to stay in a, like a strength sport. Yeah, um, I hadn't really looked into it much, but I kind of. So things changed, but immediately, you know, obviously post accident, you would have been told pretty much that's the end of your career as a footballer. Yeah, the uh, although you are com- making a comeback in a couple of weeks' time, aren't you? Yeah, potentially, <laughs> yeah. potentially. So, look, you know, when I got to the hospital, they um, they did some X-rays and MR- MRI and, and whatnot, and they were actually considering taking the leg. Really? Um, wow, was that bad? Yeah, yeah, it was that bad. So, look, yeah. I'd lost complete feeling and um, use yeah. of it. So, and a lot of nerve damage. Yeah, there was a lot. Yeah, yeah. and look, nothing was ruptured, but the damage was just that bad yeah. because the leg had dislocated and actually flipped around mm. the the foot hit me in the chin oh. when i yeah when i flipped through the air so it was Jeez. pretty graphic yeah um, and i had to put it back in pain so level i didn't feel a thing right. it was a um, good probably shock yeah yeah look the only thing i could describe it the the actual pain was more like a gong had yeah. hit you it went right through the nervous system right um I, I got flipped through the air and when I landed, I looked down and I was like, oh, that's facing the wrong way and it's twisted. Yeah. Straight away, you know, adrenaline kicks in. I'm like, compartment syndrome. I don't want to get compartment syndrome. I'm going to put this in. <laughs> so I sat back up, untwisted it and there was no resistance. I put the leg back in and just about everyone around <laughs> me was like, oh, oh that's, yeah, that's <laughs> stomach. Oh, good. Um, I'd never in 15 years been stretched off the field. Mm. Um, yeah, so there was a bit of pride kicking in there. I'm like, oh, you're you don't you dare yeah. get a don't I'll you right. dare get a stretcher. Help me up. Yep. I went to stand up and it went emu leg, it went backwards yeah. and yeah. I was like, Okay, that's, I'm getting a stretcher. That's not good, yeah. So yeah, look right right from then. Look, I, I really hoped it was broken and that was yep. I was like because mm. a break is I thought well, repairable, you know, yeah, it is repairable. Yeah. And when they said it was nerve damage, the first doctor said, Look, Marty, you're probably gonna lose it, not gonna walk mm. well again or and uh, I said, don't come back in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Find me someone else. Yeah, find yeah. me someone else because mm. I don't need that. I've never really been on that woe is me or negative mm-hmm. side. Um, and we went into hospital. I was in there overnight. They went through the whole explaining the whole process. Mm. And, you know, it was really tough because I was coming from, you know, really high level football mm. and being one of the best and I just all of a sudden saw myself at the bottom yeah, and having yep. to rebuild mm. and I have rebuilt quite a few times mm. my body is just riddled with titanium mm. um, <laughs> but it's um, never been like a distraction I suppose or, or set. immediately after the incident though was that you know did the depression set in that okay what do I do now or you know as you said I'm at the bottom of the heap you know Mm. where do I go and and when did that decision then to probably look at a different sport sort of kick in well I remember lying in hospital and looking through the whole um you know just going through the whole process and I think it was the day after I spent a day sort of mourning my career but Mm. um the next day I was like oh maybe para sport and um I jumped on my phone and, and Googled up the Australian Paralympic Committee. Tim Matthews' name yep. came up. And while I was sitting in the hospital, I, I sent him a, an email the next day saying, Proactive. look, uh, this is the situation. Yeah. I, uh, I may come good. Mm. I may not. Yeah. But um, I want to get going and the leg's just going to have to come along. If I come good, don't worry about yeah. it. But um, give me something to focus on. And that was yeah. the biggest thing for me was yeah, having... Yeah. Yeah, something, something else to look at, yeah. Yeah, and, and sport was such a big part of my life yeah. that it had to be something 
So yeah. Tim was got back to you? And yeah, he did. <laughs> he's a good guy, isn't he, Tim? Yeah, you know, I look like, One of the sort of, um, you know, a lot of people don't really know him or, or know of his career, but, you know, a fantastic representative of the sport and just an all-round nice guy. Yeah. Look, he was very straight to the point. He was like, oh, you know, it's very early days. You, mm. you could come good. I'm like, let's just organise a meeting yep. um, and go from there. And I think it was maybe three weeks post-surgery. Um, I hobbled into... Mm into the uh, Australian Paralympic Committee there at uh, Essendon mm. on the crutches and, yeah, went through a couple of options. I think rowing was on, on yeah. the cards was one of the classifications. It's not going to work for me. Yeah. I, need, I, need I can't a see him as a cox. Big, big, yeah. big aerobic <laughs> event, yeah. No, I really wanted um, I really wanted that kind of manly alpha kind yeah. of sport and for me that throwing was yep. came in. I thought, mm. was, you know, you don't, it's such an explosive sport. I think my training could transition really yeah. well. Um so we started with everything, javelin, discus. Yes. Um, what, what was the first step though? Was it to align you then with a coach or just to go through the options? You know, when did you start being coached as a thrower? Uh, so during that meeting, uh, I said, look, I'm going to need a coach. Let's, mm. let's find one and we're going to organise the classification, so the yeah. national classification. Yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves because yeah. you do have to be classified. And then yep. because, as we'll talk about a little bit later, that classif- classification then determines exactly what your pathway is going to be because, yep. you know, the world of the para-athlete isn't just an open-ended you know, book where everything is available. It's not. It all depends on what classification you get as to what you can do. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, it really does predetermine the path that yep. uh, you have to take or... Or choose not to. Mm. Um, depends on what you. If you want to go to that elite level, then you need to follow that path. But um, getting back to the coaching, they, I started with Alex Gusbeth. I think a few in Geelong. Yeah, within Geelong. So Damien Birkenhead's yep. first coach, and um, Alex was great for me in those early years. And and uh, yeah, we slowly. Progressed. So he started the technical model for you of, of getting that right. Yeah, he did, and um, very patient. He was very patient mm. with me, which was. Uh, Great, I wanted to be the Were best. you patient yourself though, Marty? I can imagine you'd be sort of champing at the bit to get out there and be sort of, you know, I want to be representing this and that and all that. <laughs> I can just see that in your personality. Not patient at all. No. <laughs> if I, I, I'd be lying if I told you I, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't uh, look up the world's best. Yeah, you know, yeah, you were like, like how, yeah. how quick can we get to this? Yeah, yeah. 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 I started adding on yeah. Facebook friend requesting, you know, like yeah. uh, Jackie Christensen yeah. and uh, yeah. all those guys. So. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, and then obviously with Alex, you got the grounding in the sport uh, current coaching situation though that's changed a little bit yeah so after classification I um, started doing some work with John and what, what classification did you get uh, originally I was an F44 which right. was because I was quite early in the injury and didn't understand it mm-hmm. um, that well so the original classification was F44 yep. um, which is for um, uh, originally it was uh amputee or paralysis or along those yep. lines um since then we've i do have i've discovered we have like what we call a sensory ataxia which means um if i'm not looking at my leg i can't tell you where it is so i've right. lost proprioception and even when i'm looking at it even though i have some minor function i can't control it very well so it does kind of fit into that same cp class it's as a yep. so i ended up in the 38 so okay i i kind of fit both classifications so you do get a choice these days mm. um, to fit either or. The 44 classes are super, super tough class. Mm. Um, I'm not the tallest of athletes by mm. any means, and I'm still one of the shortest in the 38, but those 44 boys are, are massive. They're big, yeah. yeah. And, it's a, and they have discus available, so once again, there's no shot. 
Mm. Okay, good. Um, so you've been classified. Uh, the coaching is going well with Alex. But then what was your first sort of foray into international competition or national level comp? Uh, so I've, I made my first national 17 weeks. <laughs> after uh, after ac- accident? The, yeah. yeah, after the Jeez. accident. So, um, And it was only standing throw. I think um, just having that base strength level and, you know, being an athlete before sort of gave me that ability to throw those sort of distances. Um, you know, it was a real eye-opener for me, just having to transition from being a team athlete to um, an individual athlete in shot put um, was one of the hardest things for me. Um, but, yeah, once once you get up to those national level and things like that, you start interacting with other athletes, um, It's that's what really kept me going. How did you find the community of throwers or para-athletes in general? Well, I think there's, there's definitely some camaraderie in it. Um, and I, I think uh, once I got there, I did notice there was a quite a, a disconnect. And that's because there's so few, I, I, like in, in the space of Australia, I suppose. Mm. Um, but once I got there, I kind of, you said I'm a big character and I have to admit. <laughs> you just took it upon yourself. Yeah, well, it's, I added a little bit of banter to competitions mm. and um, uh, really tried to um, be that connecting sort of body for it. And th- the same has been said at, you know, Australian level um, is that they can see that I'm a real team player. And even to this day uh, at World Championships, and you will see that a lot of people still don't, have that experience in the team dynamic it's a whole bunch of individuals coming together and i really love that team environment that's something that really so something like the, the commonwealth games which you did represent australia at gold coast you would have reveled in that sort of experience and yeah. that would have been exactly why you chose this sport and why you want to continue on the commonwealth games was a huge turning point for um I believe athletics, like with between para sport and able bodied sport, mm. the um, it was just amazing. Uh, Sally Pearson, um, you know, Michelle Jenniker, and that they all had these first opportunity to sort of interact with Kurt Fernley and um, other uh, para athletes, and it was right there. You could see there was a moment there, particularly in the lunch in the lunchroom, where people were like, "These guys are working their butts off, just exactly the same." and um, do you know what? I think there was a little bit of fear. They didn't un- really yeah. understand or that. how to approach yeah, it's it. It's different. And, um, and you know, for someone like Sally, who's been on multiple teams, um, she'd never been thrown into that environment before. Well, so. and I think we get that in like a lot of the crossover spaces where, like a lot of the time with para-coaching, that's something we, if anything, sort of almost try and dispel in the sense that it's like, and I know John said that your coach now, John Aiden, has said this in the past as well, that it's like, you know, if you're located a long way away or you're, you know, if you've got a throws coach nearby, you know, it's definitely positive to, to build a relationship with that coach if possible because you know, we, we see coaches that are sometimes hesitant because they, they don't want to injure someone or they, mm. they don't want to you know, put someone in a social situation where they're asking them to do a, a drill or a, you know, a rep or, or something that they can't do. But I know even you know Nick Walls said it's more of just asking that question, just saying, hey, look, what, what are you comfortable with? You know, is there stuff that you, you know, won't be able to complete in training? How do we modify around that? Because I think at that base element of coaching, you know, your, your job as a coach is to figure out what that athlete can do, whether able-bodied Rather or Rather than what they can't do. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. in the same space with able-bodied athletes, there's heaps of sessions they can't, you know, people at different stages of development can't do. Yeah. Um, but I thought that got uh, a ton of mainstream media traction in the sense that, often that experience on an able-bodied team is that it's just like everyone's kind of you know, 
somewhat in their own event groups and you know everyone sort of knows everyone and they hang out a bit but you know then you were saying Marty you get to a team event like that and you're all sort of in that one space and it's probably compounded by the fact that you're in Australia and then all of a sudden you know you've obviously taken that opportunity to I guess just introduce yourself and, and get to know some people you know if, if you were going to be there for that period of time for the championship anyway yeah I mean from that just that uh of the com games in itself i just made so many uh, new connections through that and you can see you know i was roomed up with ben harradine um uh, interesting character in himself yeah, yeah, Good one to get. yeah. yeah look i really had never interacted with ben yeah. prior to that but now yeah. we've you know we've got the 1207 room kind of <laughs> chat <laughs> that's still still lived on but yeah. um but oh, look I, I really um value that whole experience um yeah, still getting to interact with Catherine Mitchell and Sally and um, and just people like that. And look, we're all we've all got the same goals, like, mm. and um, there's a real good understanding now, a much better understanding of each other. Let's talk support network. So John Eden is your coach. John, where is he located now? Is he? So John's back in Australia. Back in Australia. He was in New Zealand. <laughs> was New Zealand for a yeah. little bit. Yeah. 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 So he's actually still um, employed by Athletics New Zealand. Fantastic. Um, so he's heading back over there. I think he's doing about four or five weeks in Australia and then a week or two back in New Zealand. So mm. How did long-distance coaching go when you are under his tutelage? Yeah, so I'm was not it sure. coaching by iPad? Yeah, <laughs> it was by iPad. So <laughs> Claire, Kiefer and myself uh, obviously still work under John. Mm. Um, and we set the iPad up at the back of the circle and, <laughs> and John would finish for the day over in New Zealand, go back home and set the iPad up and eat his dinner while he was coaching us so it was actually can he shout through that ipad yeah can you hear him yeah yeah you can still hear we can also mute him (laughs) (laughs) that's something you can't do on a physical one-on-one coaching session unfortunately uh so that seemed to work quite well because you were steadily progressing yeah um i'll tell you one of the biggest things was the focus you got out of a the one-on-one sessions in the ipad john could replay videos and record and um, but one thing that was really good is because Claire and I would obviously take turns, mm. it gave us an opportunity to communicate to John and we would almost coach each other. I was going to say that because uh, I think we've had that discussion before that between yourself and Claire, you're now looking at you know both being very good coaches in throws and we're not just saying paraphrase either, you know, throwing coaches leading forward, so which is you know, a huge opportunity for us now to be leveraging off the experience that you're getting from John because of that method of coaching that you had to adopt. Yep. And, and you were just saying before, one of the biggest things that John says is that you're coaching the athlete first, not the disability. Mm-hmm. And um, it just rings so true because every disability is different. It can look the same, that just be affected differently. The easiest way is to have a look and see what an athlete is capable of and see what they will do. Mm. Um, and then you work with it from there. Um, but yeah, look, I really look forward to coaching um, after I'm finished, whenever that is. People I think like, we've got a while to go, yeah. yeah I think you've got a bit to wait. <laughs> yeah. People like to put a number on. No, you, you know, can't. Nah. You can't do that. I think we're yeah. seeing that in a lot of disciplines now that age is just you know, nothing these mm. days. So life's changed. Uh, so other support network though so you've got your coach what else is there that's sort of backing you up you've, you're with the Athletics Chilwell Club so they obviously provide a little bit of support for you as well yeah so they've been really great um, yeah right from the start they've um, offered me quite a bit of support they have helped uh, you know funding wise um, you yeah, know as much as they can um, for like a world because or, you're not on NAS no I'm just just outside the NAS <laughs> well, I was going to say because I 
I don't really know a lot about it, but in the I guess is there a discrepancy between you know I, I assume the Commonwealth Games would have been fully funded in terms of you know you didn't have to pay for your own travel or anything, but does that ring the same for World Championships and stuff, or or do you often have to fund parts of that? So yeah, Com Games and and Worlds, I'm funded from the time I yeah. leave to the yeah. time I get back, and yep. so you know, that sort of part is sure. under, but nothing outside of that so okay. nothing in the lead up or mm. right, well, that's all something that I have to yeah uh, and, and for yourself myself. obviously um, so what sort of line of full time work do you have to juggle with you know getting comps in and you know going interstate or you know even considering sort of international opportunities and stuff well I work full time as a arborist for City of Greater Geelong um, so that obviously takes up how long have you been doing that for Marty What's with the city yeah uh, 2011 I started okay. with the city so yeah. Um, I really enjoy that and just, you know, building new streetscapes and, you know, mm. it's their legacy things, yep. I think. Um, that's something that I like making a change in yeah. and seeing that change and, yeah. you know, things that I planted back in 2011 are now established avenues and, you know, I get to say to my kids, oh, look, I planted that <laughs> and, um, or really changed the, the landscape and I think that's something I try to do um, in everything I'm involved in, whether it was in f- the reason I started the Buccaneers was mm. I wanted a more professional setting and mm. um, that's what I want to build a different, um, you know, how it was seen in Australia and, yep. you know, being a part of athletics, I, I, I really want to um, leave the leave athletics in a better space and for being who I am, you know, mm. just having a bigger character and trying to, you know, show people how you can overcome adversity and, and you know, look for goals to... Um, Keep your focus. How does the full-time employment work in with your training schedule and your international travel and all those sort of things? City of Greater Geelong quite supportive of everything you do? Oh, nothing's nothing's for free, that's yep. for sure. So, so you've got X amount of annual leave and you've got to... I get, yeah, yeah, I don't get the holidays. I you know, pretty much use all my annual yep. leave for competitions mm. and yep. training camps. So I start at 7.15 in the morning. Mm-hmm. I normally am up at around 4.30. We'll get a training session in before work. If I'm in the area, I'll get an ice bath in at lunchtime and while I've got the food in the microwave and then <laughs> when I finish, I'll head down to Landy Field or into the gym to, to train after work. So you just have to fit it in and I think I'm used to it. I like being busy. Well, yeah. And sometimes it can be good too to have that full-time job because, well, number one, you've got guaranteed uh, security of income, which can a lot of athletes don't necessarily have that. Uh, but also, it's procedure, process. You know, as you say, you have a timetable and you've just got to fit it in. And we know that some of our very best athletes actually do thrive on having at least part time employment. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, rather than, you know, if you're a full time athlete, it can be just twiddling your thumbs for a little bit during the day and obsessing about the next competition. Yeah, I have to say, I do enjoy that. Uh <laughs> when I get the opportunity, Genev, just, to, yeah. just to be a full, just to be a full-time <laughs> athlete, yeah. um, but you wouldn't get too many opportunities for that, though, no. would you? Because in family situation, yes, yeah, so I've got three daughters and yeah. um, ages. And my partner, uh, so daughters are eleven. 14 and 16. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> interesting time in their lives, isn't it? And your life. Uh. It certainly is. Look, my kids are really good. They've, um, they've sort of grown up with me being involved in sport yeah. the whole so way just, through. Just, just you know, they know you're going to be busy. Dad is dad. Dad's yeah. dad. Yeah. yeah, they don't want me hanging around anyway. I go a bit nutty when I'm uh, <laughs> sitting around doing nothing, so... Can imagine. Uh, you, what about their sporting interests? Have any of the girls shown interest in... To take a particular route in sport? Uh, so my old Tiora, my oldest, she's um, had a bit of a dabble in just about everything. Mm-hmm. They, she, they were doing quite 
well in uh, competitive cheerleading, which is oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, Australia. It's so really has taken off. Thing, yeah. 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 yeah, all three were involved yeah. in that in, yeah. um, in a early younger age and you mm. know, national level. Mm. And uh, I think the eldest team she went to number two in Australia. So. Um, yeah, they were very competitive in that. They've kind of stepped away a little bit at the moment. Um, the middle one, Cadence, she's 14. She's really um, academic, so yep. uh, she's starting to look for, you know, obviously things in the US that she might really? be able yeah. to. Yeah, and the youngest one is just involved in everything. She's yeah. a little tomboy, so yeah. she... At that age, they are hopeful. Well, hopefully, and that's, what we, you know, that's one of the things that we espouse in this sport, that uh, no specialisation at that sort of age. Let them oh, do everything, particularly 100%. team-based sports. Yeah, exactly. And it's just a, such a character builder too, I yeah. think, being involved in... in uh, what was in your, you know, looking at your teens, what, what sports were you playing? When you well, I played everything. So yeah. I started <laughs> uh, table tennis, racquetball... Jeez, um, I can imagine him throwing the, the um, bats <laughs> around a bit too. I always made, found a yeah. way to make it physical. Yeah, so I can imagine. Yeah, um, yeah racquetball was interesting. Yeah. In those little, when you're in a confined space. Yeah. You can't, yeah once I you can close the door, you're I in there with imagine Marty me. being very good at dodgeball too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm super competitive, so I can't do a lot of those. Yeah. Did, did you play footy? I did, mm. yeah. So yeah. I played footy from around seven till I was 18. Yeah. Um, I used to run the corridor before it was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Started it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think they all would play the wing wing mm. back then. Wing, mm. wing, wing. Yep. But uh, I always found the shortest path to the goals was... Um, yeah. Straight down yeah, the straight middle. Yeah, straight down the, the middle, middle of the cricket pitch yeah. back then. So, uh, Let's talk about where you have been and probably where you're going too because we sort of preface this by saying that your disability and your classification will determine a lot. So you're primarily a shot putter, uh, but discus also holds opportunity. So do you want to just explain, you know, in your classification, you know, where you're concentrating and when, why you make certain decisions? Okay, so um, shot put was probably, you know, my physical attributes really sort of uh, pushed me that way. Um, and I really started to enjoy um, shot put as a, as a sport and just... I, I think if you really, if I really enjoy something, that's where I stay. What's uh, the enjoyment though? I've picked the thing up a few times and have a bit of a dabble in it, and I, I don't know, just picking up a cannonball and trying to get it out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it looks a lot easier than what it is. Mm. Um, I think it becomes. I think when you when you're in an individual sport, like mm. whether you're a track athlete or and mm. chasing times and PBs as well, we're just chasing that, uh, that, yeah, one, that centimetre, centimetre. one centimetre. Yeah. And for me, it's the, the world record. Mm. And, and I've got Cameron Crombie in my class as yep. well. So um, for me, it's just, you know, chipping away, chipping yep. away and, and being always on the improve. And that's by improving technically what you do as well as the strength element. Is that how it comes together? Yeah. Oh, look, if it was just um, plug and play, download yep. the technique and get stronger, yep. um, it'd be a lot of fun. But unfortunately, um, you have to work on that technical side of things. Mm. And um, I found... Super, like I'm really strong for, you know, like I still squat 220, 230 kilos um, and, you know, sort of 160 sort of bench, but uh, it doesn't, wasn't transitioning. Mm. And one of the biggest things I learned was heading to um, New Zealand last year for, uh, I just decided to head to New Zealand and do a training camp that they were having. Had the opportunity to train with uh, Dale Stevenson, Tom Walsh. Oh, is Dale is where's Dale now? Is he? Yeah, he's he's he coaches yeah. Tom Walsh. Yeah. Well, well sort of co-coaches, I guess. Wow. Sort of. Kinda. Yeah, yeah. So the rugby Tom career Walsh. is over for Dale. He didn't really. Yeah, he's, no. he's been at um, over in NZ for a while. Oh, I think. That's great. Yeah, I think he broke his leg, didn't he, on the yeah, last oh game? Oh, so oh, the missus might have told him not to yeah, play. Yeah, <laughs> the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, because I 
can sort of sense where you might be heading with that. But yeah, while, while we're at it, if you can explain what the New Zealand throwers do that is, well, not just the New Zealand throwers, I know Kim Mulhall's mentioned it as well, but one of the interesting things I know that popped up really early days when I was doing TTP with AV was Kim came in and gave this presentation on like old school thought of, tra- of throws training and why that can work for some and why it doesn't work for others. And like Kim did a really good job. She didn't really pitch it as like what does work and what doesn't work, but it was more these are the old concepts and what's yeah, sort of moved through from that. And this newer concept of, I guess, lifting for, I guess, velocity or, or, yeah, because your ultimate goal is trying to move something at velocity. So dive into that a little bit because I've seen a bit of that on Tom Walsh's Instagram and stuff. Exactly, yeah. So when I got there, the first thing that the Dale and Tom said to me is, uh, you can be as strong as you like, but if it doesn't transition to the circle, um, you're never going to progress or not going to progress well. And I didn't really get what they meant until I started... Uh, watching them train I just soaked it all in absolutely soaked it all in I remember looking I was trying to look at the Tom's um, training program <laughs> it, got, it got closed over flip the page over just <laughs> yeah. a little photo there um, but you know by the end of it I'd really seen the, what they were training so they, they do um, do a lot of their training based on velocity so mm. VBT or velocity based training and one of the biggest things that I noticed was that they worked um, under a heavy eccentric with an assisted drive phase. And they had some fancy machines that were $160,000 and a lot of stuff that was uh, developed for them. So um, coming back and and trying to implement those sort of things just with mm. stuff that you could. Um, I had made some elastic bands to for the chest and had people assist. And mm. within a week of coming back and changing, I'd started PBing. Um, yeah, because uh, that's another thing, I guess, you know, Tim and I are obviously from distance backgrounds. So when people implement changes in their training and I guess things we're more familiar with, it often takes time or... You know, or it's they not, go backwards before they yeah, go Yeah, they go backwards yeah. a little bit. But in, in the throws world, are there, are there things you can implement that you feel make more rapid changes or is it more of that, I guess, because there's such a physical sensation, is it more of that click, like, you know, it, it dawns on you that you've, you've made a really big change technically? I think it just freshens it up for you. That's one of the biggest things... That, if you get stuck in a lull in shot put, it can be you know, quite a hole. But yeah, once you've got, once you've learned these new techniques and just positions as well, that mm. how you can utilize them the best way possible. Um, just understanding the biomechanics of the whole thing really helps, and I think you can start to find gains straight away. But we've slowly implemented those things as well. So I yeah. have John as a throws coach, and then I have Sonia Mori who was my S&C coach. Cool. Um, and I engaged her um, at the start and I had to find someone that could what listen to What was her background? Uh, so she was one of the 2015 AIS draft athletes wow. that went up for Taekwondo. Um, and she'd done, she's done a Bachelor of Exercise Science. She's done a, bit, a little bit of CrossFit and, you know, all those sort of PTing. So she really hadn't worked in that elite sport that can be interesting though can't it because they're on a bit of a journey as well with their learning and you can be sometimes you know sort of the crash test dummy for it but it can work first thing i said to her was uh can you take second seat under john Mm -hmm. john will tell you where he wants me and it's your job he won't interfere he'll tell you where he wants me and you create it so sonia's learnt along the way with me and i can be uh quite influential <laughs> in my space whereas I know what works for me and what doesn't but you know along the way you know Sonia's done a lot of research and she understands my body like what I can and can't do mm. there are some some limitations mm. um, with timing but 
I think we're starting to build a model now that um, I can translate it into the circle and I know how long it takes me to recover and I know how long it takes me to be ready for comp. All right, so you got a silver medal at the comp games. Great experience for you. You were in Dubai recently for the World Championships. What was that experience like? Yeah, completely different experience in yeah. Dubai from Com Games. <laughs> um, for me, uh, getting up onto the podium at Dubai was really important. Um, the physical side of things and preparation and, and getting ready is one side, but that's the mental thing, uh, mental side of it as well. When going back to Com Games, I was going into the Coms just really struggling mentally in Comp. I would tighten up um, and. I just could not put my best out there. We really had no idea what was going on. Couldn't, uh, didn't matter what I did, I could not find a way to, to beat that competition tightness. Um, and Com Games uh, had a different coach. I worked under Scott Martin because John wasn't there. So we just had worked on one focus. But one thing going in there was I, I knew I'd done everything I could. I went to a, saw, saw a sports psych uh, and got it right. And I think look, I won the mental game at Com Games, I prepared for that. But it was all a lead up to, to Worlds for me. Mm. And um, when I got to Worlds in Dubai, I prepared for everything. Like I'd done everything I could in the training, everything I could in the gym, um, trained on the track and went and had a look at the circle. So I was really confident in what I was doing when it came to competition. Uh, it's probably, it's just, it was just the whole result of years of competition. And it came together. And you had been in it by then for you know, nearly five years. So you should be starting to reap those rewards. You probably weren't going to get them in year one, even if you wanted them. But you then see the beauty of, of that process coming together. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember 2017. A lot of people would be happy with a fourth. But mm. I, I walked away from that determined to never... Um, come forth again yep. yeah I remember turning to Andrew Fakeney at the time walked over to him and oh, look I was so disappointed because I had tightened up and mm. I just said to him I promise you I'll never finish fourth again yeah what's this year hold for you though okay so unfortunately um, in my classification the F38 um, the only throws event at the Tokyo Paralympics is the uh, javelin uh, I specialise in shot put and after Dubai I really wanted to have a crack because I didn't want to be sitting home um, seeing my teammates go mm. on to Tokyo and, and know that I didn't have a go. Um, it was a real eye-opener for me. So I, I started transitioning to Javelin and I was making some really good progressions. As much as I haven't had much experience in Javelin, I think a lot of the fundamental techniques sort of stuff does carry over. And look, I think at some stage you have to really have a look and see, um, you know, should I make the team? I was probably only going to make up numbers and the quota spots aren't quite there. We do have some really mm. successful javelin throwers in uh, Jaden Sawyer, Corey Anderson, mm. and Cameron Crombie. Um, so there's three guys there ahead of me, but you know, today's probably the first day I'm gonna let people know mm -hmm. that I'm not going to pursue the, the javelin side of things. Um, uh, does, it, does it sort of upset you a bit though that you know, you're a Paralympic quality athlete, but the door's not open to you basically in what you wanna do? It does it, upset you. Me. Just it, yeah, it does grind on you, yeah. I suppose. But um, for me, I think the journey, I've always wanted to be, it's a mental thing, whether it was whatever it was, I just wanted to be the greatest at something. 
Um, and for me, it's going to be shot put. The, I, in 2021 in Kobe is where the next uh, World Championships, I'm determined to win that. Like, I will... I'm working my butt off to get there. Well, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, in, in any part of athletics or para-athletics that there's probably been uh, a ton of people who've been able to make a team um, you know, in an alternate event or, or in something that's not their strongest event or, you know, double up in events. And, you know, that, I think that's a lot to say that, you know, you've sort of had a look at it and thought, you know, is that something that is going to sit well with me? You know, am I going to be comfortable going there and maybe finishing seventh or eighth and sort of just going through the motion i think we all now know the answer to that and the answer is no that would be no yeah as much as as much as i'd love the title of paralympian Mm. um i want to be world champion more yeah so uh, that's what where my focus will be and uh look at the end of the day post what are we 20 months away it doesn't it's really not a lot it's not no no the the world champs that's one of the beauty of the world champs they do roll around on a regular basis you know they're every other year So, yeah, for this year, it's really about getting as many blocks of training as I can and and building, um, you know, working on What will be the major comps for you this year? Uh, I think, um, yeah, we're focusing on national championships and throwing well there in March. Yeah, so that will be a a big thing for me. That's where we're programmed for at the moment. Mm. You know, and then you'll go into another base building period? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And and coming back from, from Worlds... Uh, so we had a really good preparation. I think I absolutely nailed it. Hence mm. the 76 centimetre PB to get up onto <laughs> the podium, which is almost unheard of. And that's a big um, chunk. It mm. was, yeah. yeah. Do you know, what? I was, I was not. It's only as far as I actually throw the shot. <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy that can help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll re- rebuild. But one of the biggest things we did a lot of unilateral testing um, with Sonia when I got back and. Obviously, with a disability, you do have these imbalances. Mm. So that was something that we wanted to build on. How could we improve the last prep? And we pretty much nailed it. But what we could improve on was those imbalances that mm. I had. So that's what we worked on and um, currently working on now. And I think that's what will take me. Yeah. yeah. Has, um, has competing in the shot put and a lot of these strength-based events, has that, um, I guess, altered at all? I guess, mate, I don't know if it would be a level of function or, or how much use you can get out of your lower body, but do you feel like that's been a, a, like a net positive? I wish I knew what I know now when I played American football. Yeah. Um, just, I've gone four, five years now without an injury. Like, oh, wow. you know, I think the worst thing I had was a little niggle, uh, a torn calf, but it was in the one that I couldn't feel. So <laughs> it doesn't count. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> Onwards. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't feel it, so... But just the, the, the stuff that I've learned in elite sport and, and uh, you know, prehab and mm. stretching and functional mobility and um, just looking after the body. Five years and, you know, I'm almost 42. So that's where you would think you would have a lot more of the injuries and touch wood, you know, I won't have anything uh, leading <laughs> it, up. It is sort of remarkable you say that you're 42 because you've come from a strength sport background now for quite a long time, but you still are improving i have no idea how my body holds up mm. at the moment like if you saw because as you said there's quite a lot of metal in that body yeah. um from previous incidents and accidents so it's you know your bodily strength you must be very proud of the way you're still progressing yeah and I, I, it's not um focusing on what 
what has happened mm. before or the injuries or anything. I know that the, the drive is to get that world championship. Isn't yeah, it? that's, that's all, what that's, that's every that really time matters. you every waking moment. That's what you're thinking of, isn't it? That's, that's all that really matters. And yeah. every every time there's a, a a hint of a negative comment or you know, are you getting too old, Marty? I'm just like I've always lived that. Even yeah. in American football, I was. Mm. Um, the short little guy, you know. I remember an American coach coming out and it was a Victorian state team and he said, oh, where do you play? And I said, look, I play interior D-line or defensive end if you like. And he, he laughed at me. Mm. I thought, you'll see. Come, mm. game, day, come game day. <laughs> you'll you, learn. Yeah, come game day, um, I'll be starting. And you and he's like, okay, no worries. And come game day, they, you know, they didn't want to take me off fields. And that, that happened team after team. Um, you know, I don't know if you know Adam Gotsis, who is uh, now with the Denver Broncos, so he's a defensive lineman. He was my backup, mm. so that's my little claim, <laughs> he was my claim to fame. So while I was undersized, I was, um, uh, I was always strong and I always had that drive. Um, so I've always prided myself on not letting other people uh, set the limits for me. Cool. That's a nice way to end up here on this little chat. But Marty, um, you're staying for the whole podcast, by the way. I forgot to tell you that. Fantastic. Uh, we're looking forward to your contribution, particularly we are going to talk about country champs in a minute, so that will be a, a good conversation. But Marty, thanks so much for that. I've learned a lot. Sean, have you learned a bit there? Yeah, I, I think that's, um, you know, I've only really spent a, a bit of time with probably Jared Clifford um, in that, you know, one of the modifications we make with Jared is that one of the long runs a lot of guys in the distance training community go on has about, six lines of traffic to cross about an hour into it so it's literally grabbing Jared by the scruff of the neck and <laughs> dragging him across six lines of traffic and saying yeah you'll be fine because they can't really see the cars coming anyway so it's always an enlightening experience but I think that is a thing I think uh, a lot of people in, in coaching or in you know, media that's associated with aths or you know, all, all sort of facets of the sport often there's there's a hesitation with para-athletes to ask why or how or, or you know what that athlete enjoys the most about their event or just, just you know just having that conversation there's this like hesitancy to to offend or to say the wrong thing but it's like you know 99 out of 100 of those para athletes you know are at that event for the same reason they, they are passionate about the event they want people to ask about their event you know they're trying to get better at it just the same as you know every other athlete out there um and I think I've seen that a lot in the state team setup as well because we might only have, you know, six to eight, you know, a very small group of para-athletes. But, you know, usually by the end of these trips, they're, you know, very much an embedded part of the team and everyone gets along quite well. But I think, yeah, it would be excellent to see, you know, as Marty said earlier on, you know, leaving throws and leaving para-throws in a better space to where, you know, you do have 20 kids on a junior team or 30 or, you know, or you have, you know, two pools at a, at a para-shot at, at nationals or something. But... Yeah, no, I think there's a lot to be said for Marty in, in terms of, you know, making that effort um, in what is a developmental phase for the sport, you know, is only something that's going to pay off down the line. But also in the broader shop board community too, I can imagine, Marty, you'd have some good friends there and um, you'd probably <laughs> love getting out in the ring with guys like Damo. Yeah, absolutely love getting out there with the... And it's important to, when you can, try to fit para uh, throws in with the able rods like Damien and that as well they all feed off each other yeah. i've had the opportunity to throw with like tom walsh and yeah and and that as well um i still you know i just look at my phone now and i've got you know <laughs> have a little bit of a joke with valerie adams mm. and uh, tom <laughs> walsh and, and damo Pretty all the cool. time yeah and it's a you know, whole new world but that vibe in the ring when you get a good combo i remember one distinctly at Olymp- uh, sorry at lakeside about two or three years ago where 
everyone was throwing big, everyone was throwing PBs and Damo was going long and, gee, the excitement level was right up there and everyone feeds off it. You can just sense it. The next one who steps into the ring thinks, Jesus, he's just done that, I'm going to go long as well. Mm. And yeah. it's, it's pretty big stuff, isn't it? Yeah, when you've got a comp and uh, everyone's on, it really does just lift the whole yeah. intensity of the comp. But, um, and then hopefully we, the commentators get onto it. But <laughs> yeah, sometimes that. yeah. So that's where all the big personalities are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Track Classic. I think we're all together. Yeah. Uh, Melbourne Track Classic Great. coming awesome. up. Awesome. Some to look forward um, to. So yeah, listeners do keep an eye on the shot because once they you know, and the beauty is the the markers will be out there showing Australian records and all those sort of things. Mm. You can see how far they're going, and mm. um, it is compelling competition when it gets going. Marty, thanks so much. But there's more to come. So, Marty, you're just back from the country championships held in your own hometown. You're a Geelong boy, born and bred? Yeah, born and bred uh, back in 78. What's, what's your footy team? Geelong Cats, mate. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's, you have to be a brave person to say something else, don't you, down there? But anyway. You do. <laughs> All right, so country chance, very successful down in Geelong once again, as, as it always is. I, I wasn't there. I missed this one. Um, I did what normal people do on weekends and went to DFO and all those sort of things. Um, <laughs> it wasn't required, so I didn't go. But uh, I, from what I saw on the fabulous AV um, coverage of it, it mm. was just um, absolutely crowding my social media feed. Looked like good crowds and some pretty good performances too. Yeah, I think the whole um, athletics weekend for the country championships has really started to get that. It's a very fun yeah. Type, um, well, it's, that's one of the keys, isn't it? Because it is, the, you know, I keep saying it's the biggest thing that AV put on. It is under 14s through to over 60s, and mm-hmm. we don't do that at any other championship, so it's massive. Yeah, and what I think did notice is the crowds were sort of moving, you know, from event to event, and um, it didn't matter what event people competed in or family and friends, they were all getting around, yeah. like particularly Geelong athletes, who are really getting around and, and supporting them. Uh, even in my comp, I had to look over and I'm just like, oh, this is a power shot put event, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there's people, people really getting behind this. Yeah, so. yeah that's fantastic. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the old names, you know, Terry Hicks, Janet Crocos, Kathy Igney, all, you know, it's just great to see them year in, year out. They're there supporting these events. And, you know, guys like Terry usually doing their, their you know, standard 10 events. <laughs> By the end of the weekend, the three-day weekend, um, Terry is usually hobbling a little bit, but uh, good on him. He's still there in the over-60s and going well. Uh, you had a – you threw your furthest Australian throw for the shot. That's not – yeah, second, yeah. second, second best ever. Yeah. yeah, considering last year my uh, PB was fourteen thirty-eight. I've opened mm. this year. The two comps have both surpassed that by twenty and fifty uh, yeah. something centimeters. Yeah. So um, I'm in a good space mm. right now. There was some interest in throws because um, Kath Mitchell was in the Jav fifty-nine yes. meters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great to have Kath as a, uh, a name down in the mm. country champs. And, yeah, it and is representing Eureka, which she's been with for a long, long time. So yeah. it's great that she's held that um, allegiance to the club. And uh, I know Eureka do appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's important too to get back and compete with the, in these events as yeah. well, particularly with Se- Season opener for Kath, I think, was it? Was it first way one of trying to get back into what will be an Olympic year for yeah. her? Yeah, I believe that was first yeah. comp because yeah. she had to sort of, I guess, pull the pin on last season with, um, with injury, but... Like, I think uh, last year I only competed once, but casually won the Bislett Games in Oslo. So, yeah. I was like, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. she was in bad shape. It was more just, yeah, I think... Um, a few issues. Yeah. yeah, just injury stuff out her back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, in your pet event with uh, Damo, had a bit of a throw in the shot as well. The Cryo, the Cryo Colossus. We haven't used that term for a while. That no. was a Tommy Nixon special, the Cryo Colossus, and uh, still sticks a little bit. But Damo's sort of travelling along okay at the moment. 
Yeah, yeah, he's taken along. He, um, I think he's um, slowly building. Like he obviously had a, a year that wasn't as what he would have hoped for last year, but you know he's definitely building and he's got the potential there to really um, open up and yeah. yeah I can, I'd keep the eyes on Damo yeah. this year. He's um, really ticking along. Yeah, Good fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed for another Olympics berth for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, also, Mackenzie Milcharik. Um, She's under 18, is she? Yeah, under 18. Yeah, but stepped into the open comp and through the... That's a 700, am I right? Or 600. 600, yeah, sorry. She was, she was yeah. second. Second to Kath Mitchell in 48 metres. That was a very, yeah. Yeah, very good comp there because Monique Cellioni was back as well, which is yeah, great. Yeah, also um, I think Catherine Brooks was Catherine back Brooks for the first in time in maybe like yeah. a year plus because yeah. she's had knee injury stuff as well. So yeah. yeah, so that was a sensational women's open. Yeah, plenty jab. of the jab fraternity yeah. down there for it. Yeah, that's excellent to see. Uh, any other throwers that um, stood out for you, Marty? Oh, I'm a big fan of uh, Maddie Cowie. Yeah. Uh, so it was great to see Matt Cowie down there yeah. going high 17. So Fantastic. once again, push, just pushing Damo along as well and young Aidan Harvey in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good to see good numbers in the mm. Women's Open. Yeah, and, well. look, and we've got Emma Berg and people like that who are ticking along really nicely. In yeah, the there, was, at um, the there was a pretty good comp in the Women's Hammer as well. So the, the top three were all above 45 metres. So Louise Mendez was obviously down as an, as an invite from Athletic Essendon through 49 98, um, but Olivia Graham of Eagle Hawk was second or first country in uh, 46.39, and Emma Werner um, from Eureka was third in 45. One of my favourites. 45.31, so obviously a pretty pretty stacked comp there for the hammer. Yeah. Um, and also in the discus, you, know, you, you had the names of like uh, Kim Mulhall, Emma Berg, Tali Ferguson, Zolivine Beal, um, so a lot, lot of juniors um, jumping up to compete in opens as well in the throws, get a few more throws in, so it was good to, to see. Yeah, I think we probably would have seen a few more throwers, but um, perhaps discus and that down in Geelong. It has got good wins mm. if we didn't have the clash with the ACT champs, but uh, it does certainly draw the. Uh, yeah, I've, the yeah I've, I've been down there on on assignment when we've had Matt Denny and um, Danny Danny Stevens down there and. Mm. Uh, just for dis, just for discus specifically. Yep. Always had that reputation. I yeah. Back to when I was competing, well, isn't it just because you can pick either throws cage basically? Yeah, well, I that's only a recent addition, having mm. the, the other ring, but it's because of the, the river runs alongside. So yep. the wind uh, kind of chases up the up the river Buffets and then the comes, across the, uh, comes across the field. So there's a tree there. You can pick where the wind's coming. In the pole vault, you'd expect the pole vault comp to be in Geelong to be very good too. And Woods, South Bendigo boys are a true country champion here, 460. That's um, fairly good. Getting there, yeah, yeah. I think five. It's either five ten or five fifteen is the world junior standard. But yeah. he's been jumping relatively high early in the season. I think he's yeah. from Kyabram originally. Yeah, he's Kyabram. Got his pole vault bags. Yeah, and um, Mark Stewart was talking to me the other night at Miles Club, and he said, "Gee, just keep watching this one because yeah, yeah, yeah he seems he, to he's the real leaps deal. and bounds." Yeah, yeah, yeah um, and, um, I saw in the uh, men's four hundred as well. Um, young Finn Kersop Cole ran forty seven oh three. Um, so he's getting closer and closer to that 46.90, which would be the world under 20 standard. Yep. And our Domachins took out the women's 400, 58.50. The, the blue ribbon events. So the 100, although we, we're middle distance. We don't I was say, say that. The, the 800 at countries. Well, let's talk about the 100 first. Holly Dobbin took it out 12.38. And Michael Hansford uh, from Casey Cadenia, 10.79, took the men's. But Jacob Caesar, 10.92. Carayo is the country champion. What did you find in the 800s? 
Um, so I, I wasn't down there, but um, judging by the various bits of chatter and um, the photos that were available, um, it looked like Jacob Raid um, from Deakin shot out to a bit of an early lead and tried to drag everyone through relatively quick. I think it was about 54 point. Um, and there was a bit of a gap back to Christian Davis and Grant Muir and, and Jake Stevens and popped down there as well. But um, yeah, Christian Davis popped up with the win from, for Athletics Chilwell around 150.62. Um, and Jacob Reid ran a big PB for 150.70. Um, and Mr. Mr. Muir, our, our Scottish friend, um, Chilwell also, um, was there in 151.33. So 151.33 to make the podium uh, at countries, yeah, all, all is, from country clubs. That is big. Is, is pretty big. That is very big, actually. And, yeah, rightly pointing out that they are all legitimate country athletes. Too, yeah, which all, is great. all trained down there yeah, and live down yeah. there. All Geelong people. Brigitte Humphrey took out the women's, 214.78 for her Deacon Club. So a country championship there to Brigitte. Um, anything else that... Sort of stands out, Sean. Have you got any other results from? Did did see um, Shepparton had a had a yes. big handful down there. Same with Southwest, um, the the Warrnambool based yes, club. You've got a vested interest there. Yes. And um, <laughs> I did see a posting from Shepparton yesterday saying, mm. "Look at yeah, because there is a team's Lots element to this." And they said, stuff, yeah. Yeah, "They said, look, we're not on the bottom. Yeah. First year in, and they were far in. from it. Actually, had their uniforms and everything. It was cool yeah. to see. Uh, it was very very cool to see. Uh, the team's competition was taken out by Eaglehawk. So yeah, they did see that. It's uh, amazing how the, the Bendigo teams sort of wax and wane a little bit. South Bendigo will take the precedence for a while, then Eagle Hawk have marched mm. straight back in. And I think they won the men's, the women's and the overall, Jeez. not surprisingly. So Yeah, I did see, I think it was um, the likes of you know, Denise Snyder, who's a, a high jumper by <laughs> trade, but was in about seven different events. She will do seven. And that's tradition. She, it's a busy weekend for Denise, mm. there's no doubt about that. But she is actually very good at most of the things, even through to oh, shot yeah, yeah. and things like that. She's competent. I did uh, see uh, in, a, in a proper Clash of the Titans, this is one of the, the most hotly anticipated distance races of the weekend, the uh, the Mayor of Bendigo, Jamie Cook, who, uh, yep. look, big respect to Jamie. He was, he was a man who you know would be comfortable with us saying he wasn't, wasn't a, a hotshot junior, but um, has probably put in a good four or five years of just 100-mile weeks and, and does have a penchant for running pretty early in the morning with uh, um, Andy Buchanan up in Bendigo. For no partic- I'm, I'm sure they've got things on on a Sunday, but for what appears to be no particular reason, they do love a run at about 7 a.m. on a Sunday, which, you know, if you can't really let the social life get too out of hand on a Saturday night and, and get that in. Um, but uh, Cookie, as he's known, uh, Bendigo Harriers man, uh, took on the likes of Matt Gunther and um, Julian Spence, our uh, Doha rep in yep. the marathon. And... Um, Mr. Spence, or, or the Moose, as some people would call him, um, got got the win there and in 14.30.82, so pretty handy 5K run for him. Um, Matt Gunther was second from Deakin in 14.45, uh, and Jamie Cook was third in 14.54. So it's so a pretty strong field there for, for the 5K. And I think Jamie then doubled in the 10. He did. He got the win there in 30.59.81. Um, so had... Two, two gentlemen under 32 minutes there. So Nathan Stoke from Athletics Chilwell around 31.53. Um, so some, a, a relatively competitive 10,000 metre event there, I would say. Joel Baden got a 2.22 in the high. He had a couple of goes at 2.28. Uh, yeah, does love jumping down at, down at Geelong. Yeah, yeah. so that was a good performance there for him. And um, is it Yoel Routh, I think? Yep. The, the lad that was second? Yes, he's, um, in 2.14. Yeah, he's come through the, the junior ranks yeah. really well, up there with Paul Cleary and, and um, Caitlin Christie helping out a bit in Ballarat. Cool yeah, to so see he, him. He passed at 2.16 and then um, three attempts at 2.18. Yeah, he's one of those guys that... I think came to the sport quite late and did maybe an under-20s comp, but then, you know, Cleary, obviously a, a long-time Aths coach and ever the optimist, but was, was pretty confident that he could jump 2.15, and I think he did that not shortly after 
moving out of the juniors, so it'd be cool to see him, I think, up at Open Nationals. Cool. All right. Any other highlights? Yeah, I think um, for me, one of the biggest standouts on the weekend was young Darcy Giddings from Korea in the under-16. So three goals there. Um, 57, I think, with the discus. 15. Who's coaching Darcy? Ooh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I just remember from the state team's entries, he does just about every throw. Yeah. Which is which is cool to see. Uh, he's uh, he's yeah. really developed. He's sort of coming into his body at the moment. Only yeah. a young fellow. Well, yeah, under sixteen. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he's um, put on a bit of height, and he's starting to add that little bit of physical yeah. muscle as well. Yeah. So um, Ned Weatherly was was down as well. So probably yeah. country originally. Yes, he was a Geelong boy, but does compare to Frankston. Yeah, through sixty-seven thirty-one. Um, in the hammer, so yeah. cool to see him getting back in the circle yeah, and very good throws, mate, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. Cal, Cal Dane, who's yeah. old Zavs, yeah. he threw sixty six oh eight in the in the jab. So oh. we're going to see a lot of these ones shaping up at state champs before too long as well. Yeah, yeah I think so. it's going to be a pretty good championship season. Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, you'd think so in in this what this year yeah. is. Uh, <laughs> we'd hope it to be, but um, yeah, that the countries are. I think you know my gen, just in having that general chat about it, I think some of the performance standards are actually rising again at country. So, which is good to see, mm. and people are seeing it. Not just the country athletes, but also some of the metro athletes. is a is a good competition to get down to. Mm. So, where is it next year? Any idea? Did they announce? I don't think so. No, I don't think they've announced yet. Mm. I might have missed it. Mm. Okay. Pretty, It'll uh, be somewhere in the country, <laughs> unless it goes to Casey Fields again, which was a bit controversial, but anyway, <laughs> is it country, is it not? But uh, that's our little wrap on the country champs for 2020. So last week was also busy with specialist groups mm. and uh, Rare Air and the Milers Club were on. Uh, Throwers Club, I think there's one coming up sooner or later. Do you get involved in Throwers Club, Marty, at all? Oh, they're generally midweek, so yeah. being They're a bit hard, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. normally out at Ringwood and mm. yep. so it does make Yeah, it it's Ringwood-centric, but that's for a good reason in that there's such a good, yeah. strong... And a lot of the organisers come from there, so we can see yeah. why they do it. But um, we'll try and keep a track of what they're doing but um, they're not getting obviously they don't get the socials that we get with Milers and also Rare Air so yeah. sometimes they do go under the radar a little bit but uh, we'll try and keep a tabs on that one they're a great event they, well they are and this yeah. is the thing well you know you're talking about community and, and we need to be pumping this and maybe we need to get throwers down to Geelong on a Saturday or something like that as well or, or combining in with one of the other specialist groups whether it's Rare Air or, or Milers Club to, to have everyone together at the same place because certainly when Rare Air and Milers are together which they do you know, a couple of times during the season the atmosphere is just great because yeah. suddenly there's another hundred people there and yeah well the yeah. ones i was involved in last year was pretty pretty cool there was a bit of hype music and things yeah. like that you could it's what you want pick yeah. your music yeah. coming in so yeah. um yeah. yeah it's just adding that whole vibe and yep. um as new zealand does a great job with those mm. street meets and, mm. yeah and yeah the street shop put over there yeah. Yeah. sells out yeah I think we need to push this guy into a little bit of organisation of the throws <laughs> in between everything else he does in life, including having three kids. Mm. All right, rare air. So Melbourne Uni, it was a split meet. So they had Melbourne Uni and also Casey Fields on the same day, which is 16th of January. In the ladies, uh, 14 started or 14 cleared heights in the, the women's at Melbourne Uni and Olivia Gross got 385, best result. Uh, Tamara Mancuso, 370. Kira Davey was 355. In the men's, Dalton Demedio, 20 finishes there, all heights recorded. 
and Dalton Demedio with 4.60 uh, was the lead. And then you had two on 4.30, Andre Demedio and Nick Rosa. So a few of the younger guys getting through there for the results. Out at Casey, Felicity Juvelle, Casey Gardinia got 3.30 in the women's. Uh, and Nicholas Slade, 3.01 for, um, uh, for South Coast. And Nicola, unfortunately, did lose her uncle, I think, in the bushfires down oh, at Oh, Yeah, so not a good time for the Slade family, but our, our commiserations to them. Uh, in the gentlemen's pole vault down at uh, Casey Fields, we had Sean Warren with a best of 3.31. So that's rare, rare. Uh, they'll be on again fairly soon, I believe, and we'll continue to give them a bit of love. All right, Miler's Club. Sean, do you want to lawn, uh, lead off on <laughs> Miler's Club? It was pretty pretty hotly anticipated meet. Um, I think there was there was a lot of talk around both the uh, men's and women's 8 and 15 A races. You know, a lot of interstaters had come down for it, um, and uh, I think everyone was out for a pretty quick time. Um, the women's A800 um, sort of got us off to a, a, an absolutely flying start there. Mm. George Griffith uh, continued on. She's got a real penchant for, I guess it is a home track, so she does train at Box Hill um, with Steve Ellinghouse. And, um, yeah, I guess it is a bit of a luxury coming down to your home track and churning out a 202.49, which yeah. is, um, yeah, Steve Steve was sort of saying that I guess he's, um, you know, they've, they've sort of uh, dabbled in the 1500. When I say dabbled, you know, went to the World Champs, made a semi-final. But, uh, <laughs> more, more, that, more that, I guess, you know, George has been an athlete has been very talented at both events yeah. um, and that for any coach, that's a bit of a juggle in figuring out which way to come at it. But um, Steve seemed to think they're, they're on sort of the right track for an Olympic year. Um, so very strong 800 times two running in January um, and hopefully that translates well into 15. It was a small field, only five finishes in the mm. women's A. Shani Landon decided on to jump pace. into pace because she headed to New Zealand on the weekend to have a race there. Mm. I haven't got the result from that one. It's very hard to the, find. It's tough to find. I was searching yesterday on Athletics result. New Zealand's website and I could not find a thing. But anyway, mm. I saw a photo and she looked to be doing all right over in New Zealand. So mm. we'll have to get on to Shani and see how she went. But she did pace it beautifully, around 60, just 60.2 was Probably, yeah, pretty spot on. And yeah. sort of hung in there until 500 yeah. and then yeah. Georgia really... Just motored down the back off. straight. Yeah. And and look, the night wasn't far from ideal. It was not a perfect middle distance night. No, it was it blustery was windy, wind. Which is strange for, yeah, and strange cool. for Box Hill. Yeah. yeah. Um, and had Morgan Mitchell there second in 208.34, which um, I think, again, you know, we're talking about this juggle of events and, and training philosophies and stuff. I think Morgan's probably in a pretty heavy base phase early yep. in the season. And she was there at the bell. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely there at the bell. And, and she does put herself out there. There's no oh, yeah, doubting that you and are going to get 100% we, every time. We sort of saw this last yeah. season with Morgan that sometimes, yeah. I guess, with um, you know, Liz Matthews' yeah. I guess, way of coaching her to 800s, it's, it's more of a gradual build to the um, I guess pointy end of the season. Um, and then had Gigi McEnany in third. Yeah, I was, I was really impressed with Gigi because mm. you know you've got Griffith and then Morgan. Yeah, it's, it's a big train to with jump Shani, on you know, leading them through, and there's Gigi right in the back, yeah. right from the start. Yep. And I thought that is brilliant. No, yep. don't die wondering, girl. Nah. Um, men's eight hundred, uh, I guess, was uh, yeah. I guess those of us like myself that do pay a fair bit of attention to the the up and comers um, was the. 
I guess, the, the opening party for um, young Jack Lunn from St. Kevin's. Who certainly was. He's a bit of a jack of all trades. I think he got about 99.6 for his ATAR and he's, he's off to Monash on a, on a scholarship and he's high jumped 204 and he's run 48 point in the four. But his main event... I reckon we turn him into a shot putter. What do you reckon, Marty? We don't need another overachiever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's about six foot one and he's, he's all limbs. He's, he's a very gangly looking creature. And, um, well, he looks good when he's running. I oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's, he's a good mover. But... Yeah. Um, I think he was probably fortunate that Isaac Hockey um, had decided to run an 800 as well um, and had Tony Crawford on pace, which was yep. very handy to have someone tow them through. Yep. Um, I, I thought they could have done a little bit more to stick on the back of Tony. I think Tony was doing a good job but just got a little bit of a gap out there. Yeah, you did You did tease him on the, on the, uh, on the live stream. I told him to slow down, actually. I think he was, yeah. I think he was a bit hurt about that. So yeah. No, well, it's I, not I his fault. That's the thing. He, he wants probably, another go at it. Yeah, he was probably on pace, but yeah. you know, the guys have to go with him and that's the, the key about pacing. You've got to feel the contact behind. Yeah. Or there's no point being I think there. we've often spoken about it, Vic Myler's, because yeah. we've had so many meets now. Um, only, only 69 in the last 12 years. Well, no, more that there's a pattern that a lot of those A races yeah. follow where often those A800 guys will get out in something that's maybe a bit quick for them, like 25 point, and then they'll cruise around 453 something, and you're already going too slow, and you're 120, 121, yeah. and then everyone runs 150 or 151. Yep. And then later in the year, they all go around 147 or something, and yep. everyone gets frustrated. Yep. So it was good to have a pacer there to try and sort of buck the trend a bit. Correct. Um, and Isaac did um, quite determinedly latch on sort of coming through 250 into 300. Yep. Um, so Isaac got the win in 148.91. And Tony's uh, is, welcome back. He is, which is not too far off Isaac's PB, um, which is a European run, I believe, in the 148s. Uh, but yeah, Jack uh, Lund from St. Kevin's, a Steve Fabrice coached athlete, made a huge crash down from 151-odd, which he'd run at an APS meet, sort of one of those little yeah. weekend ones, um, down to 149.53. What does he need for... Well, so he needs, needs 149.20, okay, um, so which is, uh, get. as many have noted, is, is a lot lower than the standard has been in the past. It's yep. sort of come down from 150.80 to 150 to... It's been 149.5 some years and so jumps around yeah. a bit. Yeah, but I, I think Lund's going to get it. Yeah, so I, as I understand it... Because, you know, as we say, this was far from an ideal night and he's around yeah. sub-150. Yeah, as, as I understand yeah. it, he has got a spot at the Melbourne Track Classic as well, which is Great. good. So yeah. I think he'll be good. throwing himself in there and um, having a crack. Well, all he has to do is just sit, just, you know, go for the ride. He yeah. won't have to do any work. Yeah, no, I think yeah. that'll be... Just and to be fair, he did seem to pick his spots mm. quite well yep. in the race where to move around because he had a big battle with James Hansen and yep. um, Luke Shaw, who often flies over from WA for a couple of races. Yep. Um, and then in Yeah, well, Luke Shaw, you, you know, there's one you love having in your race because you mm. know that Luke's never going to... He's going to have a go. He's yeah. going to have a go, yeah. Good Men, Men's 1500, I think, frustrated a few. Um, a it few. Was <laughs> It was a, for, for Marty, who might not be in it, um, it was a... Oh, he loves his middle it a, distance. It was a, it was a much, much hyped race and there were you know, many interstaters coming in for it and there's often... Um, Tim, Tim avails himself of organising paces for the meet, which I understand the logistics of because Tim's got a lot of other stuff to do to make sure the meet actually fundamentally runs from the A heat down to the Z heat. So yep. there's a bit going on there. But often there's a, there's a I don't know, some would say a trend or a, or a disease uh, passing through middle distance running, which Tim reminds me regularly didn't exist in the 70s, 80s or 90s. I never ran with a pacer. Um, is that a lot of Ever. distance runners feel the need that someone else needs to get the race going or someone else needs to block the wind or whatever it is. But the, the frustrating thing that I did pitch to one of the A-race guys earlier in the week was I said, look, so you know, you've got... You had almost 15 guys in the race who were sub 350, 1500, which is very rare to get... Well, it was the first time in miles. Outside of nationals, yeah. 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 I said, look, do you think you'd all just look at each other if the gun went off what you'd run 64 for the first lap instead mm-hmm. of you know the 60 or 59 that you're asking for and this athlete said oh no you know i think there'd be one or two 
who are sort of the standard, ah, laid, you know. But it's it's seen as a burden. It's seen as, you know, the person that has to lead has to do the work and blah, 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 blah. So, anyway, 11th hour, pacemaker gets sorted out. Justin Rinaldi supplied one in Alex Beddoes, who is a a Cook Islands Olympic rep. Um, And Alex did, this was the good, I guess the good thing was, the one or two athletes who seemed like they were going to go for the pacemaker blame job post-race were immediately shut down by their coaches because Alex did a very good job and got out in the pace required. But around 550 metres... He had about 16 looks over his shoulder because no one was going with him. So we have this syndrome, per se, at Milers where a lot of people ask for a very hot pace. You find someone who can do it and then nobody actually goes with it. So Peter Boll, who hadn't run a 1500 in three years, there was sort of that 50-metre gap of... Not 50-metre gap, but 50-metre stretch up the home straight where you could see he was thinking about going around Luke Young and thought, yep, right, okay, that's my job. But by then, momentum had been lost somewhat. And I think they went through in about 202 high, 203 at the very front, which meant the back of the field was sort of almost 205. Yeah, and th- my and mum was, would have been with them at that this, stage. This was a group who had very largely asked for 158 to 159 through 800. So, yeah. look, I don't know how to phrase it. I don't know what the fix is. I don't know what the, the... Well, I think my advice to them is if you want the times, you've got to work and you've got to work hard for it too. They just don't... You don't sit in a pack and it suddenly happens for you. You actually have to well, do some we, work. We said, we said during the week, you know, the parts of the concept of Vic Milers um, are coined from the British Milers Club, which is sort of the original concept and it's run since the sort of 60s in the UK. Um, and they have very strict rules on their website and it's sort of their suggestion to athletes is, you know, be kind and courteous to officials, all the usuals there, be on time. If you're not going to race, give people a heads up. But the bluntest things they have there is that the Vic is that you know the British Miles Club, for example, doesn't exist to create tactical championship races. It's not a place to practice that. It's there to you know further British distance running and tune out fast times. Um, and one of their things is is that if you enter a race, you are expected to go with the pace and make an earnest effort. And then if the pacer does lag off a bit, you the, I think the wording of it is um, you know you're encouraged to use initiative. Um, and push on and, and the paces are all told in those BMC races that irrespective of whether the field goes with them or not they're to push to on at yeah. race pace so yeah. you know and, and that's our problem you know, Alex obviously had, a, had the presence of mind to slow down a little bit and then try and pick it up a little bit yeah. again to, to drag Pete through um, and I guess Pete probably feels that sense of well you know he's an 800 guy it maybe yep. it maybe doesn't yeah, it's not his prime him. event you know, yeah. it's a bit of a training run for yeah. him open the season um, and he closed beautifully too yeah he closed in about 56-1 56-2 and put an enormous gap into the field yep. um, so 346 winning time yeah. yeah but I don't know that's my rant it's like if you went yeah. to the A race and there were, there were guys in that B race who would have loved to have been in the A Correct. race who had yeah. flown from interstate and da 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 and but they like, were probably better off in the B. Um, but then again, I still have issues with the B because there was requests for times around, mm-hmm. you know, to get them around the 345, 346. It didn't happen. Ed Bysher did pop up, all yep. credit to him, post yep. his 800 and run around yep. 500 and get things rolling. Yep. I just think it's that thing of, you know, we often say people ask for what's often 345 pace or yep. even further down. Um, they go through in a slower time and then no one really closes off it. And yep. it's like, well, if, if you're asking for this spectacular pace. Yep. A, please be in the shape to do it, or B, I'd have much, a go at I'd it. Ma- yeah, yeah, I'd much have prefer to see it. people blow up. And yeah. I know they might not because yeah. they see it as a smaller, yeah. you know, But what, what upsets but me, Sean, is when the ones that are asking for mm. it don't go for with the pacer for a yeah. start and then sit midfield. Mm. And one of the ones in particular did sit midfield, had a pretty nice last lap. Mm. You're not going to get the times by sitting midfield. Yeah, but you're least, not pushing at least anything. In the, in the men's yeah. 800, you know, obviously Tony trains within the same yeah. sort of set of groups that. Isaac does, and they obviously had a chat about that pre-race, and Isaac did take up the pace and, you know, went with it and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, look, we're going for a long time. Anyway, let's go to the women's 15A uh, because I liked that race. 
Yeah, so we, we did have Katrina Bissett pacing the um, the women's 1500. That's not a um, fair pacer, isn't it? The women's 800 Australian record holder. Yep. And um, Caitlin Adams very much jumped on board there and went and with that. Ran and ran the so strong. Third fastest time. Third fastest time at a Milers Club. Yeah. Uh, the only two fastest times have been recorded by Lyndon Hall. Hall. Yeah. Who's also the Australian record holder outdoors Correct. for the mile and the 1500. Yep. Fun fact, Marty, the... Um, Men's 1500 Milers Club record still exists from the very first Milers that was ever run. So 69 meets later, oh sorry, 68 meets later. No one's improved on it. They've not Louis improved Rowan. on Louis Rowan, who would, you would probably know quite well, Geelong mm. boy, Mr. Steigen. Mm. The yes. Sox man. Yeah, the Sox man. 340.0. Yeah, so Caitlin got the timed. win in 4.17.35. Um, I'll mess this up probably. Is it Sarah or Sophie Eckel? Sarah, um, I think Sarah. Yeah, um, her oldest sister Sophie goes to college in the US. Um, yeah, so Sarah was second, uh, also from South Australia. Um, yep. in Both four team tempo. Yep. It's great to see team, team tempo come over. Yeah, um, and then they jumped in. A lot of their guys paced. The they were under coach's heads. orders to then pace, which mm. was great. And then the, what really got me was Caitlin Adams then paced the B women's fifteen hundred about eight minutes later. Tight turnaround, and <laughs> she was doing an awesome job. And also had to slow down. Had a phone call uh, mid. One of the heats where I think um, I think Max Stevens had paced one, and Matt Clark was about to pace another, and Adam Diddick, their coach, was on the phone telling them, basically ordering them to do a better job of pacing. Look, <laughs> look around, see where the field is. If you're going to put your hand up, tell me out, do it properly. So Adam was all over it on the live stream. Um, and third, it was awesome to see um, Maddie Hills back in action for yes, Melbourne Uni. I did like that too. Four twenty-five forty-six. She's had um, I think bilateral hammy yep. surgery, so yep. it's Two. taken a fair and while to come back from that. Uh, yeah, it was good to see us sitting into a 1500 and just trying to get that speed up. And she did look pretty comfortable running around the 4.30 mark, was it? Sure. Yeah, 4.25, 46. Oh, oh, that's um, good, yeah. Good and idea. Bernadette Williams from WA, yep. who's moved over to, to Melbourne, I yeah, believe. it's great to see you. Um, ran 4.27.68. Um, and rounding out the sub-4.30s was Lucinda Rourke, um, who ran 4.29.53. Talented junior. Hmm. Um, I guess, to be fair, in a very brief wrap there, yeah, the men's B1500 was similarly deep with um, Dan Canala, uh, South Australian, yep. um, taking a win in 352.06. Um, and similarly had um, Adrian Potter, um, who runs for Box Hill a bit, but is from Adelaide, uh, ran 352.12. And Kai Robinson, I believe it yep, is, from Queensland, uh, from Queensland yep. who's a, a, a pretty talented young junior, um, ran 352.75. Yeah, so it's interesting to see those three in a B heat. Normally they would have mm. thought they were in the A, but just the depth was Oh, there. yeah, and I probably, I probably yeah. passed over it in, in my... Rage there. Um, mm. But yeah, the men's A1500 was won by Peter Boll in 346.91. Matt Clark was second in 347.64. And Sam McEntee was third in 348.12. So still had seven guys under 350 with um, Steve Nucky, Luke Young, Young, Josh Johnson, yep. and Jared Clifford all breaking 350. Uh, there was something like 42 sub fours on the night, I think. Yeah, um, because I think we had to go down to the. So the men's E was one in 405.43. Um, but the men's D was probably race of the night. I think it was race of the night for sure. Um, you would love a new character on the scene here, yeah. Marty. Um, Seth O'Donnell. Seth O'Donnell. Um, with, with Knox, with I think. Knox and known um, as the mullet man. Does he have a spectacular mullet. We are talking about one of the best mullets. Um, you know, it puts Craig Mollet, um, Craig Modgenbold. No, no, Craig, you just don't know how to do it. the guy's back. Spectacular. Yep. Oh, that's um, sensational. And he, yeah. he turned up and... He's very new to the sport in the sense of the the milers format. He has done some running for a while with footy, but um, 
uh, I know Matt Clark had jumped in to pace it and had said, you know, usually in the D heat, sort of maybe 208 or something like that is, but is an acceptable um, split time. And Matt really couldn't get in front of Seth for the first 300 odd metres, sort of running next to him, because um, they went through in about 61 for the first lap. And Clark, he sort of looked over his shoulder and tried to encourage them that they didn't need to go that fast. He's kind of like, trust me, just sit in, we'll be fine. Um, but it was awesome to see Seth uh, on his first time at a milers break four minutes, around 357.77. But what and a race, though. Jason Clayton, got to give it to him. Yeah, Jason's too. obviously had, I think, um, his last sort of season or so. I think he'd been a bit frustrated with, you know, maybe um, hadn't progressed at the rate he'd wanted. Um, but seeing Seth and um, Jason, who both trained together at times down at Police Paddocks on a Saturday, um, crush through that four-minute barrier. It was awesome to see. Yeah. And do it comfortably too. But what a race to watch because yeah. um, Seth well, led like most of the way, but Jason kept challenging mm. him. Well, because they looked like they were cooked at 800 yeah. already. Yep. And just kept Although the pace was on. Dropping <laughs> on. It was awesome. I think there was it their first 400 split was quicker than the A or the B race? Um, probably the B, about, yeah. Because yeah. the A race yeah. was okay for the first yeah. 400. It was yeah. just then everyone decided yeah. to have a cup of tea and yep. fart yep. around for yep. however long. Mm. All right. So, look, um, it was the biggest ever meet three for Milers Club, 380-odd performances. So, it just keeps going from strength to strength, obviously, where the next one traditionally is our biggest meet. So, it's going to be busy times leading into the Melbourne University meet. Uh, good thing about that one, too, we have just announced that there is prize money. Um, that makes you bleed a little bit, doesn't it, Marty? <laughs> Not much prize money in What's the shop, pool, wo- shop world, but yeah, 500 for first, 300 for second, and 200 for third, guaranteed in the Victorian Mile Championship for men and women, plus the incentive scheme still exists, so the winner could take home a maximum of a 1000 bucks if they get it all. Always seems to happen. We seem to have a couple come out of the woodwork that feel like a, a cheeky sub-four-minute mile. So no, That's what we want, because look, the mile and the sub-four is still something. It's still something yep. to write home about, and um, that's what the incentives is all about, trying to get the sub-fours for the for the uh, men, and also there is some you know good incentives for the women to also mm. participate. But it is nice to have a, a Victorian Championship where you are actually going to get guaranteed prize money. Yep. So that's a wrap. Miles Club and Rare Air. So traditionally, Canberra draws a lot of Victorian athletes up and we do feel that other meets then lose them here, but that's it didn't really happen as much this year. There was a lot of issues around, obviously, air quality and, mm. and even debate of whether the championships would go ahead or not. So I think a few just you know, weren't going to risk their airfares. So, mm. But there were some standout Victorian performances and, gee, how can we go past Allen or Patterson? Yeah, what a story. I think um, I really hope this one does get some, some mainstream media coverage in the sense that... Um, yeah, you know, obviously Eleanor was someone who was a very highly profiled athlete at, at 16, 17, 18, yep. um, that sort of thing. And, you know, competed at the, the highest level for Australia. And Commonwealth and Games gold medalist. And, yeah, you yeah. Know, world junior champion and, you know, yeah. Olympian. And um, I guess for a lot of us, that's that'd be pretty hard to comprehend or, or understand. And obviously the pressures that come with that um, and had, you know, obviously a, a bit of time out of the sport and... Um, I've sort of been fortunate enough to bump into her coach, Alex Stewart, um, a few times. And, and Alex sort of said, you know, he knew she was out of the sport, but sort of would occasionally just text her and sort of see how she was travelling and, you know, just letting her know that the door was always open in, in New South Wales to, to get back into the sport if she felt like it. Um, Alex obviously coaches um, Brandon Stark um, as well in the high jump. So got a bit of a bit of a stable there. 
Um, so one ninety six. Yeah, one ninety six. Equal PB. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so qualifies for world indoors as well. I yeah. Believe. So it gives her a little bit of structure now, doesn't it? Well, I guess the current, not to diverge too much, the current concern will be if world uh, indoors goes on. Oh. Um, so all road races and marathons um, in China have been cancelled for the foreseeable future with the Wuhan yes. yep. coronavirus, whatever it's called. Um, but yeah, so hopefully it does because I know um, Asian indoor champs got cancelled over the weekend as well. Oh, okay. So a bit going on there. But mm. to return to the positive... Um, yeah. Eleanor jumped incredibly well and did have a few decent attempts. Um, I heard at 199, I think it was. Right. Um, so cool to see her coming back and someone who's obviously going to feature uh, pretty substantially all things going well um, for Tokyo and, and you know would be someone that would look to make a final and and um, definitely put herself in the mix. So yeah. cool to see. Mayor Gross. Yeah, Mayor Gross back uh, back from uh, I guess some some niggles and a few bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, just. Strolled out a World Under 20 qualifier in the 100, so no stress there. Just tick the box and yep. <laughs> move onward. But um, yeah, May is obviously an athlete who went to World Under 20s as a um, as bottom age um, in Finland and made the, the semi-final in the 200, I believe, and the final in the 4x1 and set a, uh, an Aussie Under 20 record. So um, very, very capable youngster from Geelong. Sticking to the 100, Jack Hale. Jack Hale, so I guess a lot of the hype for anyone playing at home um, was that Canberra had been resurfaced. Um, so it's an all blue Mondo surface, so the often faster track surface. and it's, it's Faster for sprinters, they say. Mondo. Yeah, I'd say up to about 800, it seems yep. to be the agreement. Um, and at about 600-ish, 500-ish metres of altitude, some people do mention that air resistance does play a bit of a role. But um, no, Jack looked spectacular in the, the heats and the semis um, and did seem to... You know, shut things down at points, and I think everyone was very excited to see what he'd do, sort of letting loose um, in the final. So came away with a personal best, and I think moved himself up to seventh all time yeah. on the Aussie list with a ten fourteen. Um, and didn't have a huge tailwind. I think it was just plus point five. So, yeah. you know, in in the past he's had very good runs in fortunate sort of one point nine to two meter tails. It's gonna so. be interesting now to watch him progress through to national champs mm. and you know, see where it goes for him. Yeah, and he is a guy who sits well in the sort of world rankings department. So I yeah. think um, also relay spots. Yeah, there hasn't. I guess with the the four by one, the four by one's not as much of maybe a lock as the four by four in terms yeah. of depth. But you know, in terms of qualifying and so on, that's a bit of a process. So they'll have to race somewhere, but they usually do race in Japan, um, sort of in May June and, and put a time down. But yeah, really exciting time for Jack. Um, cool. Unfortunately, we didn't see Rowan Browning up there in the two. He was entered, but but didn't run. So we'll wait and see. Wait and see what nationals brings. And Darcy Roper, yeah, huge jump. Um, jumped eight twenty. Um, legally, and um, that qualifies him for for world indoors, and he's and he's just off the Olympic standard there. So quite. What's the Olympic standard for Darcy? What's he got to do? Don't want to put you on the spot. I think it's maybe two or three centimeters well, short. So yeah, he's only, only just. I just say, enough. Marty, it's a centimeter game, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and you get to that is. distance, and, and he and he sort of had other jumps in that region as well. So yeah. he had a, had a really big so series, series of good. jumps. Yeah, yeah. Good. Um, but. Yeah, it was was cool to see the footage of him and, of course, all the all the live streaming available. So he's in a good spot. Um, and I believe we had a world record, Marty. Yeah, Vanessa Lowe in the hundred meters went fourteen ninety five. So I think it was a plus one five win. But well, that's good. It's great to see her sort of putting up those sort of numbers. That'll mm. transition really well for her in the long jump, which I think is a yeah, event. sort of main event. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Did Brooke Stratton? Yeah, jumped um, six. 67? Right. Okay. I'll get crucified if this is wrong. But I think it's, you know, Brooke was saying it was probably one of the best openers she's had for a season and was up there competing and enjoying it all. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting now to watch um, her progress through this early part of the season leading towards nationals and then obviously setting herself up for, for Tokyo and you know, see how far she can go. Well, I think that's a difficulty as well. You know, uh, the difference between someone being uh, an established competitor like Brooke is, you know, it, mm. everyone sort of just expects you to. Yeah, to, well, to you farm can't out just yeah, exactly. You can't just blo- you know burst out of the blocks straight away at first comp. And was but sometimes you don't want that to happen anyway. You want to have that progression. Great through. estimate was six sixty seven. So well done, big, Sean. Big well relief done. there. Got yeah. it. Um, but yeah, so Brooke jumped very well. Also, um, what else did we have written down there, Tim? I think that's about it for Canberra. Do you want to talk a little bit of what was happening around the world? Because there were also some standout performances by Australians, and Jess Hull leading the way there with the uh, the world, or sorry, the Australian indoor record for fifteen hundred metres. Yeah, so Jessica Hull was over at um, what is a traditional opener for um, a number of the world's best athletes indoors. They compete uh, at the New Balance Indoor um, Grand Prix. Um, which say you know you have a 200 meter track um, that sits sits indoors is, is banked a little bit on the edges but they often get pretty pretty spectacular fields there so she ran 404 uh, 14 um, to smash through the, the Aussie record indoors and, and who beat, held the record who was? Uh, it was Melissa Duncan from World right. Indoors back okay. in Portland at about 406 but yeah. Um, yeah it was a huge field you know she basically knocked off um, training partner um, Constance Kosterhelfen yeah. she's just showing the signs though isn't she of being something special on the world stage well, the ability to hold you know to, to be in big fields and, and beat big it was names. a pretty crazy turnaround in the yeah. sense that you know obviously Jess ran uh, Albert Thomas Mile and, and was, was beaten mm-hmm. relatively soundly there and has had mm-hmm. sort of that four or five weeks over in Phoenix at a training camp yep. um, and has just come through spectacularly yep. Yep. Um, and and maybe know, likes the indoor stuff as well. It could be more attuned yeah, to that. I, I think, and I know a lot of distance runners say this, and I know we sort of malign it as a comment, but you know, with her turnaround from Doha, I think racing in Bankstown was you know, basically just a, a favour to the club that yeah. supported her um, for a while and, yeah. and that you know, she loves getting out there and racing at Bankstown. Um, but she really was just doing sort of yeah. base work stuff because her season will be so long. Um, but yeah, awesome to see her get a win on the world stage. Yeah. Um, Let's move to Osaka, women's marathon. Yeah, so we had, um, I guess, uh, a good little Aussie connection there in the 2018 Zatopec winner, Hatomi Nia, who's had a pretty spectacular season, was actually on the on pace duties for the first 12K yep. at the Osaka Marathon. Um, so it was uh, good to see things set off. N- now, well, let's stick to um, her because she, we're going to see her back in Australia. Yeah, can, so we, can we say that? I think we can because the entry lists are out. All right. So Hatomi is on her way we've, back. We've known for a little while, but yep. it is exciting to get someone of that calibre um, racing down in Melbourne. So we'll be racing the 5K um, national yep. champs. Fresh off her Japanese half marathon. 66.38. Ran 15.37 for the first 5K. So, yep. so <laughs> she'll be there's, hard there's, to beat. There's some years yeah. where that almost win you 5K nationals. So take, take 16K off the distance and see what she can do. Yeah. But Should be exciting. The big news for us in Osaka, though, was Lisa Waitman. Mm, 2.26. 226. O two, O two got fifth, um, and in I guess what's not not a typical Japanese manner of running a marathon, negative split pretty substantially. Yep, she was twenty first at halfway. Uh, so came scything through the field towards the back end, um, yeah. and does just a polished performance really. It puts yeah. her now number two on the Australian marathon list, heading towards Sapporo as opposed mm. to. Yeah, uh, uh, and in a very, very good position for her fourth Olympics. Mm. You know, for a marathon runner, Marty. I think yeah. Talking to Hamish Beaumont over the weekend, I think yeah. only ten women have run four Olympic marathons. Yeah. Um, he was saying so. 
The other aspect there, of course, is that it does um, push Lisa ahead of Ellie Pashley on time. Um, obviously, Ellie's going to run She's uh, running in London, London, which yeah. is a very fast course. So, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what that affects. But I guess it does sort of flip the pressure back onto um, Millie Clark, who I've sort of, you know, have heard through the through the grapevine. We'll be running another marathon yeah. later in the year. Well, so. she has to. If you want to yeah, go to the much, games, yeah. if, you know, the 228 that she's got, it's not going to get her there. Yeah, and I think she knows that. So, yeah. it, it does become quite a fascinating selection game for... Yeah, and, and it's a great thing to have this much depth. Um, well, that's right. And, you know, will Jess have another dip? We don't know. Just back. Oh, she's sure. racing she did, she did again. Run, um, did she yeah. run the, the Synergy, Synergy Aths? Yeah. yeah, the sort of nitro-ish concepts yeah, down can, in South Australia. So, yeah. don't know. And another one that I've heard might throw the hat in the ring is Tara Palm from South Australia. So, yeah, yeah you never know. Look, you know, she'd be a rookie at the marathon. She's just had her first mm. goes at the half. I, yep. I think it'd be a big ask for Tara to get into that 226 range. But, yeah. yeah. You never know. Does have good track times. Um, And good 15K times too. Yeah, but also did see um, somewhat in world news, whilst on marathon news, um, Liam Adams, up at Falls Creek at the moment. Just knocked out. out of session. Knocked out back-to-back 250K weeks. So for anyone that's not so distance runner equated, I guess typical marathon volume would be more 160 to maybe 190 or Yeah, a lot of the guys... Dip into the twos, twos yeah, but, but to two, push into the two fifties yeah. is five hundred k in two weeks. That's more than most of us drive. Yes, um, certainly yeah. not keen for ten uh, <laughs> k's, let alone <laughs> five hundred. How's those medals? Yeah, Lisa, uh, Lisa medal. Waitman's medal was just wow. sensational. Was one. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, we did pick that up on um, AV's Insta. So Lisa, check it another out. athlete who does enjoy having this sort of day job structure as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, she works for IBM. So works for IBM. I'm not yeah. sure how many days a week. It's probably three, four days a week. Yeah, I think. to be fair, not sure, but um, yeah. That, but she's been in actually. Yeah. She's been in that role. I actually used to work with her. <laughs> Pricewaterhouse Coopers. Yeah. Um, then her section of PwC was bought by IBM back yeah. in about the year 2000 or 2001. She's been with them. So her long service leave is actually looking pretty good. So she's been brilliant. at IBM for a long, long time. But as you say, Sean, she has been in a career and she does have a career there mm. for a long time, which is yet again testament to the, the strength and the quality of the woman. Mm. Unreal. Anything else happening internationally? or That's about... <sighs> I don't know. What else do we have? Not not really Australian related. I think we were mm. some some of the uh, college athletes sort of opened up their season, which was good to see. Um, but nothing super duper. One, one thing I will throw at you: I believe that the IAAF or World Athletics are going to make a decision about shoe stack heights and things on research f- report f- coming out, out on shortly. Friday. I believe. This thing though, it's a research report, so right. we don't really know whether it's an actual recommendation yeah. or anything. And humorously, Nike do have a patent that's existed for a while that shows basically a, a device which you can alter the stack height of yep. your shoe with. So they've, they've thought well ahead um, and I'm very curious to see what will happen. I know Ross Tucker, who's a quite uh, outspoken he in had some a rant. parts sports yeah. scientist, um, yeah. did have a pretty solid, well-founded rant um, on Twitter last night about you know whether it will actually change anything in the, the marathon yeah. game. And yeah. you know, we look at the US Olympic trials and their sort of standards that they put out to cater for you know maybe fields of 100-odd. You know, I think they've got something like 500 odd qualified yes. entrants for the women's <laughs> Olympic trials in the marathon. So, yep. let's be fair, a lot of those athletes are in that sort of 238 to 248 sort of yeah. bucket. Um, It'll be a nice race, though, for yeah, them. It'll be an awesome in race in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, I think we'll see some big changes to marathon qualifying standards yep. moving forward. We have to. Um, and, you know, how I guess this technology stays or goes. But I did say an interesting thing over the weekend in the sense that even Paul Turgat, back when he broke the world record in a pair of fillers, 
um, or feelers that don't really exist anymore that much as a well, shoe brand. They, they, they were a DFO, I saw them yeah, yesterday. They had a carbon plate in them as well. So really? Yeah, back, Adidas, back in the day. Adidas had the original patent to the technology, yeah. but Harley Gebra Celeste didn't really like them. So oh, that was it. End of story. Hunker had it way earlier, but they marketed it poorly. So... That was the end of that. Um, uh, just a little thing I want to throw out too before we sort of um, move on to wrapping up the episode. Uh, Jack Ale, we believe, has got now the Tasmanian and the Victorian 100-metre record. And I just want to raise that as a point. Should someone have two state records from one performance? Well, you've I, taken the state record off Josh Ross. Oh, I don't know. I, that's yeah. just someone threw it at me. That, um, But mm. also we know, do know that Stuart McSwain's got a Tassie and a Victorian record for the 10,000 metres. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm sort of, you know, good on them for doing it, but can you actually be representing two states at yeah, one no, time? Yeah, you're right. I've just got it here in front of me. It was Aaron Roo Charette had run 10.17. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting spot because I know Joseph Deng was in a similar spot when he broke the 800 record and sort of, you know, I think he understood on the technicality of being a club member for a certain period of time, he would get the Victorian record, but he was kind of keen to just have, have Queensland. Queensland one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it does raise an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, could could you theoretically have be registered by a club in every I state think, and, and, I, and, I don't know, and territory? I don't know the, the minutiae of it closely yeah. enough, yeah. But, I, but I think it's more that it's 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 a discussion of eligibility mm. in the sense that if you have been a club member for, for a period of time you, you are effectively registered mm. in that state well um, you've got to have a current registration that's one you can't get a past that yeah like i know yeah. sam mcintyre yeah. technically i think should have the wa 3k state record but didn't have some paperwork filed or something so doesn't have it um just thought i'd throw it out there for mm. people that mull on you know well, yeah because we often see some of the top yeah. athletes will compete in one place for one club for mm. a large portion of the year and then they'll compete for a different state at uh, nationals. Yep. Yeah, but I suppose what we don't want, and I've heard a few of these sort of happening, is then it becoming a state of convenience and you, know, you know how hard it can be to represent Victoria in a distance event, mm. go and do a dual claim or you know, register with a Tasmanian club and suddenly mm. you're off to nationals and representing... Yeah. I wonder sure. if that's why Nick Earl moved to Tassie. <laughs> There's a conspiracy theory well, for you. Ju- judging by, I throw it out there very early in terms of promo. I, I don't think we've been inundated with requests for the Victorian Marathon team in years gone no, by. We so haven't. I think Nick could have made the team pretty comfortably yeah, in years yeah. gone by. If anyone does want to apply for that team, hit me up early because there's a light on in the men's department for we that one. Certainly are. All right, that's a bit of a general wrap there. So thanks, Sean. Thanks, Marty. ABSL round 11 and 12 will finalise that season before we go to the final, which should be mm-hmm. interesting. So when you're looking through the ladders, um, it's uh, my own club of, you know, postulating about when we're going to play the power play. And I just had a go at a few of them last night. And I said, have you looked at the ladder? Basically, no one in your division has so far played the power play. So when you all play the power play on one of the same round, it's going to be useless. So think about it next year and Mm. uh, probably strategise a little bit more. Go a little bit earlier. Yeah. uh, Just watch what's going on in your division. But uh, we have got the last two rounds coming up. Marty, you enjoy a little bit of shield work, don't you? Nice to get out there. Yeah, enjoy getting out there and just getting a few points for the club. Well, you're a point-scoring machine because (laughs) not only are you a a very competent shot putter, but you're also an old man at... 40 plus, so you get a bit of an, an extra bonus there. I get a uh, look, even on a bad day, I think I score pretty well. So, yeah, mm. uh, yeah Mary, club president down there, lots yeah. Uh, hint at into getting a few more uh, events in. But yeah. I want, I'm going to go head to head with you in a 1500 one day, though. Oh. Go on, Jeez. let's level the playing field. Could, here. could be close, given yeah. how old Tim is. 
1500 millimeters. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so look, Shield's going to wrap up with the last two rounds. So let's just you know watch those, um, as Glenn Turner would say, plethora of power plays start to come in for those teams that haven't played their power play yet. But uh, that will then lead to. Well, I'm looking forward actually to the final day with all the different con- connotations of who's going to be going against who on that day. Um, and yeah, it should be quite interesting. Have you guys a chance of making finals? Which division uh, Chilwell in? Uh, Premier. Premier, yeah, yeah Premier. you probably won't yeah. make finals, so will you? I don't think. Ooh, I, I think Diamond up, Valley and Essendon and um, ooh, who else is up there? Box Hill, you would think? I'm not sure. <laughs> I haven't got my ladders in front of <laughs> me, don't say, worry. I haven't really got down there myself, yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. well, you're competing for Franks and they're, well, they're virtually not getting there either, are they? <laughs> sure, you? Building. Well, we're all just building for the winter season, Tim. That's, oh, that's, the, that's the pride of Frankston setup. Oh dear. All right. So we've also got this uh, Thursday night, the Box Hill Classic, and we're looking at some pretty good fields assembling there. Yeah, I think so there are some pretty good names in the. Th- have they got three Ks on as well? They certainly have. So it's. Um, Did three. I hear Luke Matthews was yeah. maybe Let's have stepping a look out for one? We'll soon find out. I, I haven't know. sent through the fields. I know well, Duncan's jumping in the women's one. Yep. And well, actually, the women's three is actually looking quite strong, given based on the the entries. You have got where are we? The three K. Yeah, Melissa Duncan, uh, Kimura Tomoka, mm-hmm. uh, who's got a eight fifty seven, the same as Melissa, and then uh, Michelle Finn, an international, I believe. Cool, nine oh three. Uh, McKenna Myler, she actually popped out for the yeah, 5K she did, champs. Yeah, the 5K, yeah. Yeah, so well. she's back again. Rose Davies is in it. Yep. So Lydia O'Donnell, uh, Lucinda Rourke. Yeah, so it's pretty bumpy feels. That's not a bad 3K. Uh, in the men's 3K, you have got Sean Tobin, um, Isaac Hockey, yep. yeah, Jared Clifford, uh, Cody Shanahan, Ben Moynihan, Josh Maisie, Jack Bruce. Um, Andy Buchanan Poor. Yeah So you know Huge good, field. good depth there mm. Going to be worth Just popping out And have a look I'm have a squeeze Yeah I, I reckon think I'm, I'm there In an official capacity Of sorts I'll work out <laughs> That is sooner or later When they tell me uh, 800 Men's 800 Geordie Williams um, Is is in mm-hmm. um, Also Matty Scott Saw him training The other night At Box Hill Looking mm-hmm. quite sharp Jack Lunn Is running have Another one around Yeah Grant Muir Adam Pike Kang Nowak, um, it's yeah, solid field. Yeah, looking pretty good there. Alex Rowe also in that one. Unfortunately, couldn't make Miles Club last week, so Alex is coming out for the Box Hill Classic. Yeah, just looking at the AVSL letters and yeah, your team's <laughs> stuff there, Marty. No, no, <laughs> we're I'm hanging not. in there. We're yeah, hanging you're going to have to do the hundred, the two hundred, and <laughs> various other events if you want to get them up. Um, the women's eight hundred. Georgia Griffith likes the race, doesn't she? She's out again, um, but this time. The field is actually relatively deep. You have got Sarah Billings is coming in for it. Sarah Eckel is back, mm-hmm. according to the entry list. So the South Australian back again. Uh, Isabel Scott, uh, I don't know much about this one, but I think being UK-based and now in okay. Victoria. Uh, Shani Landon having another hit out. Connor Gist having a go. Sophie O'Sullivan, Gigi McAnini. So that's a good women's eight. In the 200s, you've got uh, the women's, Kendra Hubbard, um, Shard Muhammad. Danielle Shaw, Samantha Olsen, Joanna O'Connell, uh, Zoe Shaw. So, you know, some good depth there in the women's two. And then in the men's, you've got Will Johns, Joel B. Mm. Um, what's one of Joel B's claims to fame? What's he done that probably very few of the Victorians have ever done? 
Mm. <laughs> oh, it's really putting it out there, isn't it? It's hard. D- depends. There's a yeah. few. He, well, true. There's quite a, actually, that's a very open question. Um, dead Heat Men's Open Victorian 100 metres. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely a, a yeah. man of many talents yeah. across. Yeah. Not often that one's four. been dead heated, but mm. Joel uh, did dead heat that with Matreski. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because we've got that cool photo series out of it. Yeah. wonder who the photographer was. Yeah. <laughs> Pumping your own tyres up. All right, what else we got on? Something else I do. Uh, Luke Stevens is in there as well. Symphondorfer in the 200. Uh, Cooper Smith, Andrew Howe, Jacob Pearson. Um, That's another good field. So, yeah. So, Box Hill Classic, it starts. Ooh, what time? I'm not sure. Often they have a penchant for starting a bit early, but... uh, I'm sure we'll publicise it regardless. We will publicise that regardless, and it'll be at the Box Hill Athletic Athletic Track, so Hagenauer Reserve once again. This Thursday night, 37 degrees forecast top. So the three Kers might be getting a bit of sweat up there, Marty, I think. Um, We will see. Let's But, you know, hopefully if there's a bit of a cooling breeze later, although I think Friday's predicted to be 41, so I don't know if there's going to be any cooling breezes. But, you know, for the (laughs) springs, no problem. Even up to 800. Random heat wave. Fantastic. Um, you know, 800s in those conditions, nothing wrong with that. Not so the worst. Not the worst at all. So, you know, let's get behind Box Hill Classic once again. We've then got Melbourne Track Classic. Marty, you're having a little bit of a throw. What's the field like in the Track Classic for the men's shot? Yeah, field looks pretty good. Uh, so we've got Damien, Shane Carstairs is back out oh, there as Shane. well. So it's great to have him in the comp. An icon of Victorian he athletes. Certainly Can is. I say that? He's an icon. He certainly is. He's yeah. actually thrown quite well. He last is year. actually. Yeah. Last year was a really successful season for him. And yeah. Um, good to see him out there. Uh, I think we've got uh, old Claire Kiefer will be back out there in, in the women's para, which will all be put together yep. in the... So big Damien Birkenhead, Aidan mm. Harvey. Ryan Ballantyne will head over from New Zealand. And he is What's in, he throw? What's he... Uh, so I think he competed in the Potts Classic last weekend. Okay. I think went PB19... Mid nineteens, so, okay, so he's, he'll, he's on he'll, a build. Yeah, and he's close to Damo then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really good good to have those nice close competitors yeah. too to really push along. So, yeah. um, exciting competition. Good should yeah. be. What time of the night are you on? Do you know? Oh, seven oh five. So the, li- the lights will be on, but there's still lots of daylight at that time. And which ring? Have they told you which ring you're in? Not yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's nice when you're on the one right near the finish line. I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, I like it yeah. when you. That is a nicer that circle too. Yeah. 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 Let's see if we can push that. I'll go and talk to Glenn Turner. Get around us. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, get around them, get around them. But uh, what else is happening on that night, Sean? We've got the 5K. I've seen the fields. They are... 5Ks oh. are ridiculous. ridiculous. It's, it's pretty much, uh, I think as one athlete described it to me through the week, it's very much bring your A game or uh, don't yeah, bother showing up exactly. at all. Um, in the women's 5K, reading in descending order, um, we've got Jess Hull, uh, Genevieve Gregson... Lyndon Hall, Hitomi Nia, Melissa Duncan, Kate Spencer, Heidi C, Paige Campbell, Tomokamura, uh, Kali Thackeray, uh, Yuki Takashima, and Caitlin Adams, and Natalie Rule. And that's just rating out everyone who's broken 1540 in their <laughs> career. So that's that's 13 athletes. And then the 14th, like for example, is Emily Brickacek, who will no well, doubt run faster than that as well. Potential Olympian. <laughs> yeah, so that's absolutely outrageous. Um, yeah, and you've got the likes of Chloe Ty um, having a crack at 5K. Yep, so good. And she ran very well. Um, yeah, ran 4.14, four, yeah, yeah. I want to say, in Canberra. Yes. Um, so in, yep. in good nick. Um, but that's a 
that's an absolutely wild yeah. women's 5K field. Yeah, we, we've said before, Marty, on uh, leading through this podcast that women's 5,000 metre running has just gone to a whole new level. It wasn't that long ago in Australia. We had, you'd be lucky to get one or two girls a year breaking 16. Mm. Well, I think we actually looked yeah. this up. Yeah, we yeah. did. We got the did stats. And, yeah. And, um, <laughs> you yeah, know, 2019, it just rewrote the rules. Has just been off the yeah. charts. And 2020, I think it's going to keep going in yeah. that direction. Similarly in the men's... Um, I guess uh, understandable with the geography of it all, but a little bit disappointing that we won't see Morgan McDonald or Pat Tiernan back out here um, for the men's 5K, but we will have Stuart McSwain, David McNeil, um, and an interesting... Got my eyes mixed up there. An interesting international visitor um, in Hideyuki Tanaka, um, who was ranked second in Japan uh, last year for 5K. What's the background on Um, Yuki? Well, he's done 13.22, so around that last right. season um, over in Belgium at the KBC 9 to 5Ks. Um, so he's in pretty decent Nick Bowl accounts. Um, Jack Bruce will be there also. Sam McEntee, Rory Hunter, um, Yasunari Kusu, who's more of a steeplechaser. Um, Sean Tobin, Ben Buckingham, Andrew Buchanan, uh, James Hansen, and Daniel Canala. Um, so they're all the sub-14 gentlemen, so 12 of them. Um and I think, yeah, looking at the size of the field, they'll definitely split that in two. Um, but, yeah, really chock-a-block. So, in, in those fields, for everyone under had 36 guys at 14.30 or better. Um, so, I guess the national standard more strictly is 14.25, but still had 31 under that. So I think we've got to have a good hard look at the national standards now. I think, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess the, the women's has been sort of 17.15 for quite some yeah, time. 17, which is, I think, which yeah. is way off. I yeah. think the guys is still relatively strict in terms yeah. of 14.25. But when you bring but in under 23 standards as well, yeah. that um, yeah. can open the door. And I, I think that's one thing that has to be looked at because... Mm. Unfortunately, for a, say if you're a 21, 22-year-old and you're running that standard, which is 17.40, and then suddenly you're in that field, I don't think that's a good experience for you. you know, when, yeah. the, when you know that they're going to be around the 15-minute mark and you're two and a half minutes back. Yeah, I think it's hard as well because you've got, you know, I think because there will be A and B races, but in that sense where sometimes you just have an A, it's like eventually you're going to have to cut the field, whether yep. it's you know jumps, throws, sprints, you know, distance training, wherever it is. Um, and I think that is the hard thing with the domestic mm. track classics. They are, you know, at, at the end of that, they are high performance events. So yep. there does have to be a cutoff somewhere, somewhere in Correct. there. We've got Jandicott this weekend. Yep. Uh, what have we got to look forward to there? Traditionally, uh, there'll be I good think, pole yeah, vault. Large, largely, yeah, pole vault. We get to see Curtis Marshall, um, you know, Declan Carruthers and um, Max Armstrong and um, Liz Parnov and uh, Nana Kennedy. So big, big pole vault contingent there. Um, I think the same is to be said for the 100 in terms of Hale. I think Browning's entered. Yep. Josh Clark back again, another cool. 10, 15 guy. That'll be an important head-to-head for those guys. Yeah, because I think there's a lot to be said with you know, how those guys race each other head-to-head. Yep. Um, and otherwise, I think that those are the kind of the headline ones. Morgan Mitchell mm-hmm. in the 800 over there as well. Yep. Uh, so plenty going on yeah, there. Yeah, Morgan's racing a fair bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, lots to look forward to um, for anyone in the, the athletics fraternity, where sort of regardless of your event, really. Yeah, well, the big one in Melbourne, though, is uh, Thursday, February 6th. So check out Athletics Australia's website for ticket information. Uh, and we, yeah, come on, I know it'll be live streamed and all that sort of stuff, but can we get bums on seats at Lakeside Stadium for that mm, one? It would definitely. Be good to have a crowd, wouldn't it, Marty? To Absolutely. It's good to see a track classic back in Melbourne. It's been yeah. a while. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And look, you know, it's the, the new bright blue track as well at Lakeside. So yeah, have run around a little bit on that. It's very nice. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that'll be... And then we'll have uh, state champs not long after that weekend, number one. Uh, so, you know, lots to look forward to uh, and, you know, all the normal stuff coming up. So I think that's a wrap on episode number 31. Marty Jackson, 
Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. I think we'll have you back. <laughs> Definitely. Tolerate me? Yeah. yeah I, I think we'll go. tolerate you, but it'll be good. Um, even though Paralympics aren't your thing, I think it'll be good to have you back again this year just to you know check in how you're tracking, you know, mm, what's going definitely. on. And um, also just your great insights, in, particularly now that I think you're playing that sort of central role in the world of throwing. It's, sort of, it's a little bit of a, a knowledge gap that Sean and I have. Definitely. Um, don't get me started about javelin and breaking arms and things like that. It's <laughs> actually my 10-year anniversary since oh, I broke okay. my arm. Yeah, Tim tried to javelin and oh. did it very well i got third in the country championships for the over 40s but just then didn't use my arm for the next three months we're trying, to, we're trying to pep up the country championships. yeah yeah, so yeah. Not bring it down. <laughs> yeah and then not leave it in an ambulance uh yeah 10 year anniversary since mm. the the plate and the 10 screws but anyway um can still throw uh all right so that's a wrap episode number 31 32 we will have another commonwealth games medalist coming into the studio next time i'm not going to tell anyone who it is yet but uh, i'm quite excited sean you're excited i'm excited (laughs) marty's always excited (laughs) can you stop me never all right thanks seats guys and uh nice episode put down